Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. <laughs> this is an anime podcast. Um, I'll maybe take that again because I started laughing about. It. I just launched into it. No, no, no. You're, we're stuck now. You got to keep. Going. Oh, okay. Um, hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. I'm your host Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host Connor. Hey. Um, and if you want to know why I was laughing, I guess you can check it. It wasn't even that funny. It wasn't even that funny. But yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I wasn't gonna let you off the hook. <laughs> if you if you laugh at something that's not even funny, you just gotta like, you just gotta deal with it. Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. I'm your co-host Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host Connor. Hey. And uh, today we are talking about episodes 34 through 39 of Revolutionary Girl Utena, also known as the Apocalypse Saga. Um, any preliminary remarks before we get into the synopsis? No, I wrote a lot let's just, here. <laughs> let's just fucking do it, you know? Let's just, yeah. let's just fucking go. This is so, like, let's just, let's just do it, you know? Yeah. You, let's just you, do it. You do the synopsis first, so you, you gotta start this out. Okay. Alright, we're gonna just, we're gonna just go for it. Are you ready? Y- yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Episode 34, The Rose Seal. At school. Right. <laughs> At school, the Shadow Play girls ask Utena to join their theatrical troupe. Utena turns down the offer but finds some tickets to a show in her pocket. Wakaba then shows her photographs from the school, uh, for the school photo club, and Utena notes that there are none of Anthe. At the planetarium, Akio is taking photographs of Utena and Anthe when Utena asks him to join them in the picture. Akio is about to put his hand on Utena's shoulder, but Chuchu and Anthe interrupt. The three then go to see the shadow play together, which is titled The Tale of the Rose. It tells the story of a world of princesses and the rose prince who protected and saved them and gave his light to the world. However, a witch disguised as an old woman appeared to the prince and told him that someone was trying to steal all the lights in the world. That which is eternal, that which shines, the power of miracles, and the power to bring the world revolution. The prince went to the witch's inverted castle, uh, that we hopefully recognize by now, to save the light, but it was a trap to capture the prince. Uh, The witch then reveals herself as the prince's little sister, uh, and also reveals that the prince was the real light in the world, and all that other stuff was just, like, fake shit, apparently. Um, However, she is jealous for... uh, he can be a prince saving any girl in the world except her or his sister. Uh, she is the only one, uh, quote unquote, the only one you can't make a princess. Um, and of course, uh, if she can't be a princess, then she must become a witch. After the play, Akio asks Utena who Anthe is to her, and she replies, a friend. Uh, Akio then asks if he is a friend too. He asks her about her, about her rose signet ring, and they talk about when she first got it, although she says she doesn't remember much. We then see another version of the fable of the prince and princess um, that has started so many episodes. When Utena's coffin was opened and the prince came to her, she asked if he was the angel of death, uh, but he replies that he does not serve death. Um, she then uh, gets up and follows the prince to a chasm. Uh, across the chasm is a girl impaled with many blades in the heart of a crystal rose. Uh, the prince says she is the witch, the rose bride, um, and that she can never die and will suffer forever as punishment for taking the prince away from the girls of the world. 
we get another version, yet another version of the Tale of the Rose, uh, where Anthe tries to protect her brother Dios, um, Lieutenant's Prince, who is hurt and dying because he keeps having to save damsels in distress. When the townspeople gather outside to uh, demand that he save their daughters, Anthe tells them that Dios is no more uh, and has been sealed away. Um, the townspeople then impale her uh, with their blades as punishment, uh, yelling witch. Uh, back at the site of the impaled uh, Anthe across the chasm. Um, and I think uh, I will add, like, the um, in that second flashback, the... Um, the, the sister is named as Anthe, so we know it's Anthe. Mm-hmm. Um, back at the site of the impaled Anthe in the original flashback, um, Dios tells Utena that Anthe sacrificed herself to protect him, and she was the only one who truly loved him. Um, sadly, uh, the prince changed and um, became corrupted or somehow like transformed into uh, the end of the world. The young Utena begs Dios to save Anthe, but he merely kisses her tears away and says, um, the only prince who can save her is a prince that she can believe in. And uh, Dios is no longer um, this prince. When Dios turns away and continues to do nothing, young Utena shouts, um, then I will become a prince. I will become a prince and save her. Um, So Dios gives her the rose signet ring and uh, replies, if you never lose your nobility, even when you grow up, then you may be able to save her from eternal torment. And yet I'm sure you will forget all about what you have seen tonight. And even if you do remember this, you're a girl. Eventually you'll become a woman. Utena continues to assert she will be, uh, she'll become a prince one day. And Dios replies that if that is true, the ring will lead her back to this place uh, one day in the future. At that, the impaled Anthe looks at Utena, who stands alone before her as Dios vanishes. Uh, in their bed back in the present, Anthe is watching Utena sleep. Utena awakens as uh, she said and says that she was dreaming of something familiar, but can't remember it. Uh, and Anthe says, "I wonder who are you." Uh, episode thirty-five: The Love That Blossomed in Wintertime. Um, so we kind of get the start of it's going to be the fable again, uh, but now we are getting the version of the flashback, and this is actually kind of the this is what the previous episode was, which we we usually get and kind of skip over in these synopses. Um, but I think it's important to like note that they start doing it as if they're going to do the fable again. Um, then uh, we see in the Rose Garden, um, Utena and Anthe, and Utena tells Anthe that she feels like she has forgotten something, like when you awake from a dream and can't remember it anymore. But she feels like she promised something very important to someone dear to her and has forgotten. Um, she begins to say, is it possible you and I, when Akio comes and interrupts and basically leads Utena away? Um, in the, the little conversation that they have then, uh, Utena calls Akio a friend, um, which previously, you know, wasn't saying in, in the last episode. Um, we then get this shot of a pile of cars that reminds me of the, the peace media burn by alien or by, um, ant farm. Um, but (laughs) they're on this pile of cars and, uh, taking photos and, um, Akio and Toga discuss Utena. Um, Toga, they're almost kind of like making a, a game of like winning her. It seems like, and Toga says, um, that Utena does not seem to be one who favors presence. Um, because like way back when in that episode with the ball, she gave that dress to Utena and she didn't care about it. 
Uh, but then Akio reminds him of how much she treasures the ring that he gave her, um, the the ring that was given by a prince, which there's some sort of like possible conflating that's happening. Who yeah. knows? We'll talk about it more. Um, Akio tells Toga to give Utena a present and say that it's from him. Um, and so then Toga gives her a pair of earrings um, and she puts them on um, and Toga's asked her to go horse riding. Um, seems kind of taken aback by like the fact that she actually put them on. Um, and um, while they're riding, Toga's kind of commenting on the fact that she doesn't know how to ride horses, um, even though that's something that a prince should know. Um, and, you know, with the earrings and the prince thing, we're getting this kind of like, oh, are you really such a prince? Um, then uh, Toga pushes the horse like harder to run and Utena falls off, but is saved dramatically by Akio who like, you know, grabs her as she's falling to the ground and, and sweeps her up onto his own horse, which is a white horse. Another um, great so looking... crow high moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just appears then, out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> then that night, um, Utena is toying with the earrings in their box and falls asleep at like a, a counter or a bar. Um, meanwhile, Akio tells Toga that he has won the game, but Toga thinks that it's a draw and it remains to, see, uh, to be seen how happy Utena really is with the, the present of the earrings. Um, in another scene, Toga and Sionji discuss how Utena was the girl in the coffin that they met years ago and that um, Toga seems to truly be falling for her. That morning, Utena tries on her earrings again, and we uh, pointedly get a shot of Anthe watching her do this. Um, when Utena then looks at Anthe, she suddenly sees a vision of the swords bursting through Anthe's body. Um, that's the end of that episode. Uh, in the following episode, episode 36, uh, titled And Thus Opens the Doorway of Night, uh, Toga and Sionji talk again. Uh, and Toga says he is certain that Akio saved Utena from her coffin years ago. Um, but then also kind of backtracks and is like, um, oh, but she's still like in her, in her coffin in a certain way. Um, and Sayonji, uh, retorts that all of them, uh, everyone is still in their coffins. Um, meanwhile, Juri and Miki, uh, say they, they observe, uh, Utena walking in the schoolyard. And remark that she looks more like a girl lately, even though they've always known that she was a girl. Um, but uh, somehow she just looks more girlish. Mm -hmm. um, in the middle of the night, Toga comes to Utena to talk about the end of the world. Um, he takes her to the dueling arena. Uh, and Utena is kind of like, oh, it's weird to be here at night without it being a duel. Um, and then Toga asks her, Toga's like, oh yeah, it's weird, like romantic weird, right? Um, and, <laughs> and she's like, uh, no, but um, the stars are are beautiful. Um, Toga then, like, he continues to try to woo Utena. Um, he professes his love, saying he wants to be Utena's prince. Uh, like, oh, why can't I be your prince? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then uh, he he says, like, oh, you know, I'll fight for you. Um, and win because if you win the power to bring the world revolution, um, well, he, after this like scene where he's wooing, uh, Utena, he then, I believe is talking to Sionji again, yeah. um, and is like, 
I need to fight for Utena because I need to save her from Akio. Um, mm-hmm. Because if she like wins this duel, uh, then like she's going to fall into Akio's hands. Um, so kind of like, oh, I'm going to save her from herself. Um, later, uh, when Utena and Anthea are having a picnic, uh, Toga and Sayonji come to harass them uh, and separate them. Although it, it seems to be like, this is kind of an odd tableau um, with Sayonji like laying in Anthea's lap uh, and then like Toga like creeping on Utena, but yeah, um, Kabadoning her against the tree, basically. Yeah, but like there's a there's a moment where it turns and is like initially it's kind of friendly and then it like Toga gets aggressive. It, it's just an odd tableau. Um, Toga challenges Utena to a duel, um, saying that if if uh, she wins, the student council will never try to take Anthe from her again. Uh, but if he wins, Utena must be his woman. Um, charming. Uh, at the duel, Sayonji acts as Toga's Rose Bride. Um, at a key moment when Utena jumps from an attack and towards Anthe to power up her sword, she says, please, Himemiya, trust me, I swear I'll protect you. Um, Anthe asks, really? Uh, and then Utena says, you don't believe me? Um, then uh, Himemiya uh, powers up Utena's sword uh, and the cars, um, all these cars that are like, you know, in and around the arena, um, suddenly charge at the two of them. And Utena just like cuts them all in half, just like fooded uh, to the sandworm um, in the first half of Rare Earth. It's pretty badass. Um, all these like, like half cars and car pieces just hurtling off the edge of the arena. Yeah. Um, she then uh, like, Toga and Sayonji do this kamikaze charge as like a last ditch attempt in their little like motorbike with the sidecar. <laughs> yeah, Sayonji um, like steering, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And she like cuts that in half too, and that like also tumbles off the edge of the arena. Although, thankfully, Sayonji and Toga are unharmed because none of us wanted to see that happen, right? <laughs> um. Anyway, um. So Toga and Sayonji are lying defeated um, with their shirts open. And uh, Toga is like, oh, Utena, my like last piece of advice is don't trust Akio or Anthe. Um, prophetically, later that night, uh, Utena notices that Anthe is missing again from bed uh, and goes to find her, uh, discovering her naked with Akio um, and kind of um finally uh seeing the truth of this uh, or finally you know revealing the secret yeah um episode 37 the one who brings the world revolution uh so utena takes off her rose signet ring um and then goes and asks akio for a date um, we see the shot as they're like leaving of um, her bed where the the ring is laying there on top of a letter from the end of the world, as well as like her boys school uniform um, on their date in the car. Uh, Akio comments about how she took off the ring and also that she is dressed more feminine um, or I forget maybe even comments about taking off the ring when she's like first asked him on the date, but um, it comes up in this, this sequence. Um, 
And yeah, he while on the date comments that she looks especially ladylike, to which Utana, uh, Utena responds, I am a girl. Um, then yeah, I think, Akio... I think the sequence is like, oh, you're not wearing your ring today. And she's like, I don't think it... Like, yeah, I think it doesn't suit me anymore. And he's like, yeah. well, your, your clothes... Like, your outfit right now suits you. And it's this, like, dress. Yeah. Um, like, this, like, sweater dress that, yeah. like, you know, shows the... The, like, sort of shoulders and collarbone. Um, and uh, at the end, Akio confesses that he was never very interested in stars and constellations. Um, later, Utena and Anthe speak, and Anthe says that um, all girls are rose brides. Um, and they're kind of talking about, like, what happened to some degree. Uh, meanwhile, Toga says that it seems Utena has really chosen Akio, the real man. Uh, this is like in a conversation that the Akio and Toga are having um, over her prince. But Akio is unsure and says that remains to be seen. Um, back at the conversation that Utena and Anthe are having, Anthe says that it seems Akio really does love Utena um, and that she hopes that they can stay like this forever. The three of them. Um then, after getting a letter from the end of the world, informing them that Utena has won the power to revolutionize the world, Miki and Juri go to talk to her as they all play badminton. Um, this is one of my favorite little sequences in the, the end of this series, um, where they're all kind of just talking about, like, what do you actually want? Um, and it's the, the most of, like, people just speaking openly about um, Juri and, like, her, her love um, for Shiori. And a key moment here is when Juri asks Utena um, if the the way that she feels about Anthe is similar to the way that um, Juri feels about Shiori. And Utena says it's different, which ends up being kind of a, a fake out here because she actually says it like she sort of apologizes and is like, I, I don't mean to like be rude, but I think what I have is more genuine than what you have, um, which I'll have more thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's this part where Juri and Miki are kind of talking about like, oh, you know, it's pretty dangerous. I've like, in the same way that they talked about Shiori and Kozue, now they're talking about Utena this way. And they're kind of laughing at this joke of like, oh, we love you now. Um, and not these like people who we've had this um, more troubled relationship with. Yeah. Um, with Shiori and Kozue like looking on with like, yeah, on this conversation. Um, mm hmm. It's, again, like, another uh, interesting scene here. Yeah. Um, later, Utena and Anthe have tea and cookies, and Anthe asks if Utena likes the cookies because she poisoned them. Um, but Utena just keeps eating them. Um, and then says, you know, it's funny because I poisoned your tea, and Anthe keeps drinking, and it's like, it's delicious. Um and so they agree that the cookies and tea taste good um, and promise to have the uh, tea and cookies again in, in 10 years. Um, we then we kind of get like a lot of jumping through time in these. But uh, <laughs> we see a scene at night of um, Anthe standing in her nightgown on the roof of the building and uh, basically says that she can't take the pain anymore and throws herself off the roof, um, attempting suicide. But Utena saves her, um, grabs her wrist. And reminds her that they have to have tea and cookies again. Um, and once uh, Utena pulls her up, uh, Anthe apologizes. Um, the next day, Utena prepares to go to the final duel. 
Uh, we get Toga repeating his line of anyone who believes in friendship is a fool, to which Utena responds, I am a fool. Um, and then Anthe sort of says to Utena, like, you can still turn back. You cannot go. Um, you don't have to do this. And Utena says, no, I still want to go. Not because I want to see my prince, but rather for your sake. Um. Uh, in episode 38, um, titled The End of the World, uh, we get the Otori Akio saga style uh, start to a duel. <clears throat> but once Utena and Anthe arrive, the arena is empty and dark. Um, I think there is a, some slight variations on the yeah. um, the dual like beginning sequence um, that are are important and we'll probably discuss in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah so they arrive at the arena, but it's empty and dark. Um, and then the uh, world egg and end of the world. This is, this is my term for it: the world egg, the weird sphere that he hangs out on. But yeah, that's maybe um, maybe me drawing a connection that. Is not necessarily there. Well, yeah. So nonetheless, some mysterious orb with like a giant dios on it um, appears like at the top of a stairwell or whatever um, before Akio emerges. Um, Utena is like, "Oh, so you're the end of the world after all." And Akio is like, "Yeah, you knew that all along." Um, and I am your prince. Like I'm your prince, and you've come all the way up here in order to see me. Um, so, you know, Akio begins to kind of try to, like, woo Utena in spite of, um, all of, you know, how charged this moment is. Um, Utena asks him, like, why he orchestrated the duels. Um, and he says he dreams of the, uh, prince and princess living in a castle happily ever after, um, and that he is the prince and Utena is the princess. Um, as uh, Akio takes Utena's hand, and it seems like for a moment she's kind of um, entertaining this, um, Anthe vanishes from Haru's bright outfit, um, only to appear on the stairs um, in a different outfit um, that's like associated with this like you know mythic role as the witch. Yeah. Um, Akio then draws the sword from Utena. Um, and her outfit is transformed into that of the Rose Bride. He tells her that the sword no longer suits her. Um, girls shouldn't have swords. Um, and that he will keep the sword and be the prince and protect her as his princess. Uh, Utena asks what will happen to Anthe um, if this happens. Um, and Akio says that she'll remain the Rose Bride forever. Uh, we then get a flashback to Anthe's suicide attempt. Um, and get uh, more of the conversation, like, just more of the scene. Um, Anthe says that she thought she could handle the uh, physical torture of being the Rose Bride, um, but the mental torture is too great. Um, she talks about, like, she refers to herself as um, a doll, and, like, you know, I thought if I could just turn myself into a doll, then um, I could endure this, but, like... Um, the torture like of my heart is is too much and I can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of like seems to believe that she deserves this. Um, apologizes to Utena um, for manipulating her, um, saying that you know she knew all of this all along and uh, used her 
um, for her innocence. Um, the exact line is, I used you for your innocence. I took advantage of your kindness. I betrayed you. Um, and then Utena responds, um, kind of consoling her, um, saying that, no, like, I'm the one who should apologize. Uh, I never noticed your suffering. Um, I just played at being your prince for my own ego. Um, and then, like, when I found out about, you know, when I saw you with Akio, I felt betrayed um, by you rather than seeing, like, what was really going on. Um, and then she says, I, you know, I was the one who betrayed you. Um, Anthony then tells Utena to leave the school, escape this whole hell um, while she can. Um, but Utena is like, there's no way in hell I can do that. Um, so back at the duel, um, Utena yanks the sword away from Akio. Um, this revelation that, you know, Anthony's going to stay the Rose Bride is like the straw that, that breaks it. Um, Akio then says, uh, Utena reminds him of his former self, um, but that's exactly why she cannot save Anthe. Um, then he kind of changes tack um, and says, oh, well, now I'm going to reveal reality to you. Um, so the, um, the dueling arena, like, uh, disappears, um, and suddenly we find ourselves, uh, in the planetarium. Um, we kind of get, we get this sequence where, like, I think it goes into darkness and then, um, the shutters of the planetarium lift away. Um, and we see, you know, it's the planet, it's a planetarium, um, Akio's apartment. Yeah. Um, and notably the... The one with the the big like observatory camera is the room where um, Anthe and Akio have you know to to put it the the way that I read these things, which I think is the correct way, where Akio rapes Anthe um, repeatedly. Um. So yeah, and following this transition, we see Anthe's um, you know on this sofa um, where Akio like rapes her, um, and where they like sit. Um, Utena says she hates this room because of what Akio does to Anthe there. Um, Akio then says she's too young to understand the value of this room, um, and Victor blames her for giving in to his sexual advances. Um, yeah, this, this is a creepy, um, this is some pretty creepy dialogue that, um, mm-hmm. his, his sudden insistence on her being too young for X, Y, and Z, um, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. He, being uh, like you, it's your. You knew that I was engaged, so it's your fault for giving in. Um, yeah. Well, she's like, oh, like you know, you did these horrible things, and he's like, oh, well, here's all this footage of us hooking up, like, or you know, us like kissing and whatever, um, and like this is your fault, and you should feel guilt and shame, um, and tries to like attack her with all of that. Um, you know, again, like this victim blaming. Um, but uh, in the course of this, he also reveals that um, his planetarium is a kind of like projection machine. Um, and the castle that we've been seeing this whole time is just an illusion um, that Akio has been projecting from this, um, you know, f- from his like planetarium. Um and he, he goes on to assert that the castle and the power of eternity 
um, or all just illusions that um, he uses to manipulate people, basically. Um, uh, and goes on to say that Utena should remain a girl um, and that he uh, he's, he's kind of like going back and forth between insisting that um, he is the prince and then, uh, you know, that the prince, like, isn't real. Um, but, um, yeah, like, you know, I am your prince. I was then, I am now. Um, and you should remain, like, a girl and the princess. Um, Utena asks Akio uh, what he intends to do with the sword, and he just says that he will revolutionize the world. Duh. Um, doesn't really provide more details, though. Yeah. Um, Utena once again asks why he isn't going to save Anthe. Um, and this is where he's, um, he's like, oh, well, you know, the prince doesn't exist. Um, the, uh, the world egg that you see, um, or the spherical object, you know, um, yeah. that we saw earlier in the dueling arena, um, that's the grave of Dios, the prince. Um, that's who, like, that's who I was, but, um, that, like, I was the prince, but the prince died when Anthe was first called a witch. Um, so now I'm no longer, like, Dios. Um, Dios is dead. Um, and therefore, like, the prince doesn't exist. Um, Utena, at this point, is like, okay, like, we told they have to fight now. Um, this obviously isn't going to work out. Um, and they duel. Uh, Akio insists that um, and that there's a, uh, he kind of alternately insists that there's a greater, uh, reason, um, there are ideals for why Anthe is the Rose Bride, um, there's reasons, and then finally, um, you know, asserts that she chose it of her own free will, um, and Utena is just not having this, um, she, uh, Instead is like, no, I'm going to become the prince. I'm going to save Anthe. Um, the castle uh, falls, and as Utena gains the upper hand in the duel, um, Akio throws Anthe at her. Um, Anthe kind of like, Utena puts Anthe behind her, um, protecting her with her body against Akio. Um, and Anthe then like clutches Utena, um, seemingly, you know, um, tenderly uh kisses her shoulder and then stabs her um through the back with a sword um and then episode 39 and someday together will shine which i don't think we get as the title until the very end which i'll, I'll yeah. mention when it comes up um so um also this starts with a, a cold open like we never get a um opening theme here uh we just immediately pick up with Utena asking Anthe why, which is kind of the final question of the last episode, um, to which Anthe answers that uh, you remind me so much of Dios when I loved him, but you can never be my prince because you're a girl. Um, we get this cutaway where, like, I think Sionju's about to take off his ring, and Toga's like, no, we have to continue to wear it um, until the end. Um, you know, w we now back Utena because that's like the rules of the game. Um, yeah. And Jury tells the story of a boy who died trying to save her sister. Um, 
and that she used to be so mad at her sister for forgetting the boy's name, but now she too has forgotten his name. Um, and they're all like, why did you tell us that depressing story? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back at the duel, um, Anthea is hesitating on giving the sword to Akio, but eventually does after Akio sort of apologizes for um, how she had to hurt Utena. Um, then Akio goes to the Rose Gate, which appears as the door to the dueling arena that we saw countless times, um, especially in the, the like first part, like up until the uh, Akio Tori yeah. uh, saga. Um, the, the one where she like puts the hand on and there's the ring and then we see the drop of water and it comes the, and hits the ring. And yeah, the door under the waterfall. Yeah. Um, and so it, it appears to be it's that same door. Um, it looks the exact same thing. Um, and, um, as he sort of hops over the little gap, um, the little abyss to the, the like pathway, um, we get this like shot of basically like almost a pyramid being formed of swords flying towards him from the ground. Um, you know, as this like platform is in the air, um, we are like fully back into the, uh, dueling arena space and not the planetarium at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, as he approaches, um, and the swords begin to fly at him, um, we get Utena, uh, grabbing at Anthe and trying to stop, um, like at her gown, trying to stop her from going to Akio, but she vanishes from her, her current outfit. Um, and we learn that I think from Akio, these are the one million swords of human hatred, and they are drawn to the sword of the prince that he drew from Utena's heart. Um, but that Anthe's role as the Rose Bride is to protect him, and so all the swords go and impale her instead. Um, before this happens, Anthe says to Utena, you let me have a small taste of friendship, farewell. Um, and then gets, you know, it's a I'll prolonged process throughout this of like more and more swords stabbing into her. Um, and uh, Akio is hacking away at the vines on the rose gate, trying to break the seal, um, and gain the power to revolutionize the world. Um, with each sort of hack, um, Utena is screaming and she's begging Akio to try and save Anthe. Um, and as she's doing this, her voice becomes that of the, the child voice that we've seen in the, the flashbacks and things. Um, and then we also hear the voice of the young Dios rather than adult Akio, um, who tells her, you know, basically don't move. I'm going to take care of you. You know, you've done so well to get this far, but, um, you know, that light beyond the rose gate, that which is eternal, that which shines the power of miracles and the power to bring the world revolution that is not meant for you because you are a girl. Um, and Akio thrusts the sword into the seal, but, um, the sword breaks, not the seal. Um, and so he kind of throws it away. He says, even this wasn't good enough, basically. Um, and then notices that Utena has, um, crossed over onto the, the little, uh, you know, strip of, of like red carpet, basically leading to the gate. Um, and is staggering towards the door. He basically says, you know, you can't open it without the sword. It's not worth it. But she, um, one of my favorite, like, animations in this series just like puts her hand on his face and shoves him out of the way oh Um, yeah it's classic (laughs) um and then is basically like you know he just like walks away is like whatever um you can't open it and she's like 
prying at the seal with her bare hands, screaming for Anthe. Um, and so he's back on the main platform with Dios. So it's Akio and Dios, and they are sort of watching her and um, having a conversation about, you know, she's a fool thinking that pers- persistence alone could be enough to open the door. Um, they used to think that, but you know, that's not true. Um, and Utena is like, shut up. And, um, you know, says to Anthe that the only time that she was truly happy was when she was with her. Um, and she begins to cry and her tears fall. And we get that droplet of water as we saw so many times at the beginning of duels, um, hitting the water, you know, flying back up and the door opens. Um, and we now see the sword stop suddenly and Utena is like prying the coffin door away. Um, and inside is Anthe. Um, and so the swords that were impaling Anthe sort of fly outward. Um, I think she's just like missing at this point from Yeah, from she like disappears there. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they begin circling violently overhead. Um, <laughs> we then get uh, sort of a, a parallel or inversion or like another version of this fable where um, we actually see for a little bit young Utena is opening the coffin and imploring young Anthe inside um, to come out, to to not just stay in the coffin um, and not to fear entering the world because it is the world where the two of them can finally meet. Um, Now older, um, Utena and Anthe reach out to each other across the chasm and grasp hands. And I think there's even this line of like, um, you know, I finally met you or something. Um, And as they clasp hands, the uh, arena just completely crumbles and falls. Um, Utena loses her grip on Anthe and she falls into the chasm. Um, and Utena kind of hanging, um, you know, in the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apologizes one more time for only playing at being prince and being unable to save Anthe. Um, we then get this sort of seeming return to normalcy back at school. We do get Wakaba, um, ringing the doorbell to, you know, try and, um, you know, meet up with Ant or with uh, Utena, but Utena is missing. Um, it seems like students are be- already beginning to forget about her. Um, there are rumors spreading around that she was seriously injured or had some sort of big falling out with her boyfriend or friend um, in transferred schools, or that she got in trouble with the chairman and was expelled. Um, all seemingly believable from what we just saw, um, and. We then, um, we get, like, various shots of, of um, all of the characters. Um, and then we sort of end here on Anthe coming into Akio, um, who's working in his office. Um, and he notes that Utena couldn't bring about the, the revolution after all. Um, and that they're just going to have to start the, the process all over again, basically. Um, with Anthea, of course, serving as Rose Bride. And he kind of just says it with this expectation of like, obviously this is what's going to happen. Um, but Anthea takes off her glasses, which um, is a gesture that we sort of saw in the the scenes of, you know, this like sexual abuse earlier. Uh, she takes them off and leaves them on his desk and says, you really don't know what's happened, do you? It doesn't matter. By all means, stay in this cozy office of yours and continue to play Prince. But I have to go now. Um, she also like, says, I think refers to it as a coffin. Yeah. Like, stay um, in your coffin. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, maybe coffin instead of office. I think I may have misread my my scribbled handwriting. Um, but anyway, Akio says, "Go, go where?" Um, and Anthea responds, and also notably, all of this is like far more um, like rude speech than we've ever seen from Anthea. I feel like. Oh yeah, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, it's just far more like biting tone. Uh, but Anthony says, uh, she isn't gone at all. She's merely no longer a part of your world. Um, she then leaves the school with Choo Choo. Uh, we get her in an outfit we've never seen her in before. That's like this, uh, you know, she's going to France. Yeah. Going to France. (laughs) Um, and she says, um, now it's my turn to go. No matter where you are, I swear I'll find you. Wait for me, Utena. In France. And then, yeah. Um, and then in the post credits, we see a photo of Anthony and Utena together. Um, it is sitting on a table or something. Um, and it is clearly like, it looks like it has been cut from the photo that was being taken um, in whatever episode previously. Um, I forget the one where they're, they're taking a photo. It's like 35 or something. Yeah. Um, and in that thing where, where Choo Choo and uh, Anthony kind of interrupted um choo choo was like getting in front of the lens and so anthony was like stop at the moment that akio was about to put his hand on um utena's shoulder um and then after they got it sort of reset up because choo choo messed it up um now anthony is in the middle kind of between them and so we have this this cutout of that photo um where we can kind of see like the the arm and like edges of akio um on the the right side but it has been cropped so that we're we're just you know what's centered is just anthe and utena standing next to each other um and we hear utena's voice which is the thing that you know happened a few times throughout the the series of utena saying listen if you ever have a problem come to me first i want us to be friends like that um and then anthe responds and someday together um, and then we see this close up of um, their hands were held in that photograph. Um, they were holding hands. Um, and the final title says, Someday Together Will Shine, um, which again is usually considered the name of this episode. So and that's Utena. Yeah. Um, um, so, question no, for you. All done. All done. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So Wrap question for you, because I'm, I'm just, I was thinking of this when I, like, after I uh, watched the final episode. Um, so the film Adolescence of Utena that we're about to do, um, yeah. does that, like, continue this narrative or is it, is it something else? Um, I don't want to give away too much in terms of what it is but i i would say i would compare it to something kind of like end of evangelion where um it is not just a direct continuation it's not um it it, it's not just we we pick up where this left off and it is more of the same plot um we almost like we actually kind of get a we'll get a retelling of stuff that we've seen um, I don't want to go into like too much more detail of exactly okay. how much is like covered by the movie and, and how much gets retold. Um, stuff is reframed differently. Um, also, I think some of the stuff is allowed to 
at being a film and not a TV series, they're allowed to to push more on certain things um, mm-hmm. that might be like harder to get aired on television. Um, so, yeah, and there there's an image that um, <laughs> I'm excited for when we get there because there's a thing that came up in the question bucket for Ray Earth that I laughed about. Um, so we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, okay, um, yeah, because. When this was over, like, when the final episode was done, I was just like, oh, I really hope there's, like, more. (laughs) Um, I really hope that, like, I want to see more of this narrative. uh, And I really hope the film, like, does that. Um, Yeah. But this is, I mean, even if it doesn't, it's still, like, exciting in its own way. Yeah. For me, there's a a certain amount to which... um... I am happy that there is a certain incompleteness to the end of this show. Um, and what what I will say is also when we talk about the film next time, I'm also going to talk about the manga, which I'm reading for the very first time right now, um, because all of them are, are sort of um, intertextually related, but not like none of them are the same thing. Um, and I've already noticed this with the manga. I haven't gotten to the end because, um, I was reading kind of slowly at a certain point, but, um, you know, I, I'm going to finish the manga and I'll probably bring that in a little bit as well as we talk about the film, um, to, to greater or lesser degree, depending on, uh, so this is the other thing. I believe that, um, Autumn is going to join us for the film, um, you know, was trying to make it work for this episode, but, um, this is like coming out after we've done the independent people episode. So I hope everyone enjoyed our independent people episode. I have no idea what it's going to be like. Oh yeah. It was great. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was great. Um, but yeah, so, you know, at the time that we're recording this, it is in like the, it's like about a week until, um, autumn moves, which I'm sure people who've been listening to export audio podcasts are aware, um, is sort of a, a process they've been going through. Um, and moving is just a, like, both the reason why they moved and then the process of moving just takes a lot of time. So, um, yeah, but once they move, they're going to have time off before they start at their new store. Um, and so they're just going to like actually be able to watch and finish Utena, a thing that they've wanted to do for a long time and then join us for the movie. So, um, that's kind of the, the plan. That's where we are at right now. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to talk about that, but yeah, it is not, um, let's just pick up and let's like, it's not the movie is, here's Anthe going and finding Utena. Going to France. Yeah, going to France. (laughs) Um, Um, okay, yeah, and I think, um, oh, this will probably be discussed shortly, but, uh, I definitely think the, um, the, the way that like the narrative concludes in the series has a tremendous amount of significance. Um, so like there's a part of me that like, I, I want to see the narrative continue because I just enjoy it so much. Um, not because I'm like, Oh, this doesn't feel like, you know, satisfactory. Um, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, anyway, so the real quick tangent, um, I had to ask you cause it was like my first thought, <laughs> one of my first thoughts when, um, when I finished watching it, 
Yeah. Um, but I, so we were talking about like exactly where should we start this before we hit record, I think. Um, and I think the big thing, just because, um, it's been one of the biggest recurring parts throughout this entire series. I think it ties together a lot of what we've been talking about this entire time. Um, and we, we sort of get the, the closest to a, um, final resolution here. Um, although I still think there's like ambiguity here is this, you know, we got the fable repeating and then here we get, um, more so than we ever have before. Um, we sort of got the two competing fables of here's the, the one that we get that seems to be more Utena's perspective. And then here's the, um, story that like Toga and Sionji have about meeting this girl in the coffin. Um, and those things are getting tied together. We're also getting a new version of like what Utena experienced, um, we're getting this like further complicated because we have the shadow play version. Um, and then, you know, as we talked about in the synopsis, we kind of get this like additional version of, um, and I think especially figuring as like, it's not just here is like present day Utena saving Anthony from the coffin, but that we also get the young child Utena, saving the or like opening up and and showing something to like convince the young child um Anthony to leave the coffin um and so we, we we're having all these different fables um and it is also now becoming complicated by this thing that introduces in the, these last six episodes of the witch um this is also a thing that i wanted to note because um I've seen ways of breaking down these episodes that include both this and the, like, that take the Otori Akio saga and then just call that part of the Apocalypse saga, and it's just, like, all 16 episodes or 15 episodes. I think sometimes they leave off that first one. That's kind of a, the recap of the Crow High episodes. Um, <laughs> but, um, and, and there there's certain value in that, I think, like we're still getting the repetition of the, the way that the duels occur. And also in that, like, you know, our previous episode, the, the episodes that we watched for it, um, we don't kind of get the final resolution of like, and then here's the duel with Toga that happens here. But I still think there's a very important division that's happening from, we end that previous saga with sort of the, um, the rape or coercive sex or whatever you want to think of it um, that happens with Utena um, at the end of uh, episode 33 and then episode 34 kind of complicating this fable and everything by introducing the witch and, and pairing the witch with Anthe. Um, yeah. So, and so there, get... yeah, there is this like clear distinction for these last six episodes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we get, like, the Toga and Sayonji flashback, we get, like, very brief fragments of, um, like, around these other, like, tellings. But I think the main ones, like, are, so obviously the Shadow Play, which, like, retells the Ruse myth, um, then Akio's flashback, which is that, like, set in the village or whatever, Mm-hmm. Um, and then Utena's flashback, which is like her and Akio seeing like, you know, the Rose Bride like pierced with blades and like having that whole 
um, conversation. And I think the the third one is a little bit like, is this a shared flashback? Is this a tennis flashback? Um, I think it's like a tennis flashback, but there's room there for a degree of like, oh, this is maybe kind of like a blending. Um, but we have like the three, and then around that we have the fragments of like Toga and Sayonji remembering um, like, you know, them finding Utena in the coffin. Um, but that's like being confused with the other, um, with these other details. Um, yeah. But I think the shadow play, like, so if we just go in sequence here, like, because I think the sequence is uh, significant in terms of like, the ideas uh, being introduced, like modifying our understanding of like the Rose myth. Um, yeah. And then like the way that um, these different accounts are like introduced in sequence, um, like moves us in a very specific way um, in terms of like expanding our, um, our understanding of it. And I think the shadow play, um, the shadow play sets the stage for like a lot of the stuff that, um, we've been talking around, like about and around as a primary theme, which is this like, um, you know, the idea of like patriarchy and heteronormativity. Um, but with the shadow play, like it expands the Rose myth, um, and recontextualizes it as this kind of like longing after a mythological, like patriarchal past. Um, so the main point of it is like, Oh, in this like mythological past, all girls were princesses and they were protected by like the prince. Um, and there are scenes specifically, I think two scenes, like one after the other, um, that like illustrate this, longed like uh this like idealized path past and it's like it's a sequence with the monsters you know um so there's one where it's like oh like i'm a princess being attacked by a monster and then the prince comes and like kills the monster and um like saves her whatever um so like a very classic like you know standard mythological uh like motif um and then the next one is like oh it's christmas it's christmas eve and i don't have uh like and i'm all alone and then the prince is like oh don't worry like i made a restaurant reservation um yeah and this like sequencing uh very neatly like ties together um the kind of like uh mythic like patriarchal norms um that we often get in like you know various myths across like um various cultures um with like this you know quotidian like patriarchal arrangement like this traditional heteronormative um relationship where like um you know like the male is like oh don't worry like i'll protect you by deciding where we go eat um, and I'll like, you know, make these decisions for you. 
Um, and this is all like roped into this like idealized um, past um, in a way that I think makes it clear like um, that at least on this version, um, the like world of the Rose myth, like the longed for like mythological patriarchal past is this like patriarchal order that encompasses like quotidian like forms of patriarchy and then also like you know this mythologized like codification of it um yeah and like so so like with this we're already like it puts us on a slightly different footing with that um a more critical footing i think with like the rose myth where we're like oh okay so this is just like some sort of like um hegemonic force that is only like repro- uh reproducing um a kind of like patriarchal ideology um or conveying like uh a kind of like um traditionalist longing for like a patriarchal ideology which i guess is, is essentially the same thing um and but that's just the first uh like account um that we get here yeah um and it's also it's a thing that i find so like the other part that that comes up in here is um this is this is in some ways the most clear cut and feels the most like directly laudatory to akio um because throughout the shadow play, we're getting the cut to, you know, the only three people who show up are um, Akio, Utena, and Anthe. And, you know, they're talking about the prince and we'll get the cut to there's Akio watching it. And they'll talk about the the witch and we'll cut to there's Anthe smiling. Um, yeah, under like a spotlight or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, and this is the most praising where it's like, oh, the prince is so great. Um, was stolen away by this like wicked witch basically. Um, and you know, the, the reason being that like, you know, for whatever reason, she's the only one that he can't make into a princess. Um, and so this is like tying into a lot of this, um, stuff that we've been seeing throughout some of the relationships, notably the sibling relationships, um, and like this sort of incestuous stinge. Um, but I think even with like some of the other stuff around this, like jealousy that people feel around each other, this, um, inability for whatever reason for people to be able to love each other, um, for like various ways that society puts so this is one of the things too where i'm like i i do think that the series deals with like what's going on with jewelry differently um but it's still talking about a way that like um a love can be unfulfilled or unrealized um because of uh, especially societal forces um as well as like the just differing desires of different people um yeah um <clears throat> i think I think there's a lot of significance in like the fact that, you know, we've been kind of trying to um, grapple with this theme of like, I'm just going to say like incestuous relationships because it's convenient, but obviously it's more complicated than that as we've discussed. 
Um, but this recurring theme with like Togen and Ami, Antiochio, uh, and Miki Kozue. Um, and then it like reappears here with like the sister being the villain. Um, and yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think it also like, in a way it conforms to this like, this traditionalist logic of like the shadow play version of the Rose myth where Mm -hmm. you have like, like in this version, like um, I think the dialogue is like, Oh, um, all of the women of the world were princesses. And because we were all protected by the Rose Prince, the world was like overflowing with light or whatever. Um, And then the calamity comes because like, the prince as this archetype of like, you know, male authority and protection or whatever. Um, that's also like, you know, sexualized or romanticized is like suppressed. Um, but like the reason for that is because there's this taboo, right? Like, Oh, well of course, like the same traditionalist logic would be like, you know, would understand that there's a tab, the incest taboo. Um, so it's just taken for granted, like, oh yeah, well, I'm your sister, so I can't, like, you know, you can't make me into a princess and you can't protect me in the same way. Um, so this vision of the world is like, the calamity is centered around, like, the prince not being able to protect these women. Um, like the source of the calamity is like he can't protect his sister and she desires his protection. And then like the calamity itself is that she like seals him away and now oh no, like no woman can be protected by this like archetypal prince. Um in a way that like uh I think this is like complicated um by the other retellings. Um but like significant for um like what has transpired and then especially for like taking all of these versions into consideration to understand like the ending or whatever yeah um but then i i also think this is interesting because um we get this what what you're kind of positioning as akio's flashback which i i think is a a fair way to read this, but um, is the one that it is far more. Um, it is it's doing the same version of like, ah, uh, yes, here's the the quote unquote witch who, um, you know, locks the prince away, um, and is punished for it. But we're seeing this like interiority of the why that happens. Uh, we're sort of getting the answer to like why is it that the witch wants to lock the prince away. Um, and like the, you know, being the only one who he can't make it to a princess. Yeah. Um, it's like a completely different version. Yeah. Like it's a completely different, like everything except for like the base conceit of like the prince protects all the women in the world is like completely yeah. different. Um, and, and this is um, like, so you put like seemingly historical. I think that there's also a certain move from myth to um, 
still like these forms of fable and fairy tale, but that are like the, the saga form in Icelandic literature is a form that is um, at once taken as historical and at the same time taken as like um, fable. Right. Um, That there, there is this older form of storytelling that um, like blurs or blends this line between what is history and what is fiction um, in a way that is like far, far more convoluted or far more um, like uncertain than I think like the way that, you know, we're, we are all aware that modern history is itself like forms of storytelling that um, are not the full truth. But when you look at a lot of these older forms, um, there are stuff that might be talking about something historical and yet are also at the same time um, mixing in these elements uh, of like fairy tale or mythologizing or sure. um or fictionalizing. And so this, like this setting of a village feels very um, like almost uh, like Grimm's fairy tale to me. Um, This is the most uh, like, I I think of Utena often in relation to a lot of these various forms. And there's definitely stuff that dips more directly into myth, but I almost think of the series itself as often operating in this fairy tale mold that, um, and I, I'm very intentional with this pick here, um, that I think something like little red riding hood operates in where, um, this is kind of jumping ahead to like, as I'm thinking about the ending of the, like, you know, the final two episodes, especially, but, um, we can read little red riding hood and understand that it is less a story about a, girl who is eaten by a wolf and more of a story of like predation um in like a a real world context not a a context of like you know the it is the the person who disguises themselves as a loved one as a family member and uses that to to take advantage of and like um in some way harm this young girl and then um you know in the nicest versions of it gets saved by the hunter or whatever um but there are there are also dark darker tellings of that and i'm bringing this up specifically because you know little red riding hood is a story that can be read in this way of like um you know the the dangers of like girls being preyed upon by older men um which is something that is happening more explicitly in utena um, but yeah, this, so this, like this flashback kind of operates in that space as well. Um, For sure, yeah. the, the townspeople with all of their blades feels more in the realm of fairy tale than in like pure history. Um, yeah. And there's also an aspect of like the throng of people, the way that's presented is like, oh yeah, this is literally like every person in the world who has a daughter. There's just like yes. immensity. Yeah. <laughs> Like there's a degree of yeah. unreality, like, like in the telling, even as it is like, you know, it's it's not a shadow play, like it's yeah, like human figures in like a village or whatever. But there's a, definitely a degree of that unreality. Yeah. We're moving from the shadow play version of literally every girl in the world is a princess who's protected by this one prince. To now, it seems to be like people in the village who want this 
man to help protect their daughters or whatever. And yet they are still the stand in for like everyone in the world. And that is being figured in the telling. Um, And, but here we're getting this version where um, again, I think like a way that you can kind of line it up with the shadow play is the way that this is like providing a, um, a glimpse into what's happening between the prince and the witch that the shadow play version seems to be more of like, what would be the perspective of the villagers who all shout witch and stab the girl. Um, now we are getting the story of the actual like quote unquote witch and prince. And we're learning, Oh, here's like, you know, he is in agony because he is continually being asked to save all of the, the daughters quote unquote. Um, and, um, you know, she's trying to protect this, like her brother that she loves from, from, you know, dying because he has to sort of, yeah, this like agony that he has. And then is, um, self-sacrificing is taking on that agony herself by being the, the one who says like, you know, he's gone, I've locked him away and then gets stabbed with all the blades. Um, yeah. The object and, of and hatred. Ha- yeah, becomes the object of hatred instead of the prince and, and takes that on as this, like, burden. This also, like, you know, you put in the notes Akio's flashback, and I think there's a certain truth, too, because this seems to align the most with how Akio is often approaching it. things. Yeah, and yeah. and his understanding that I think might be genuine on his, his part, that this is something that, like, she chose of her own free will. Um, that she chooses to be the Rose Bride to protect him, and we, you know, we get in the final moments of the actual episode, all of the, you know, the 1 million blades, the 1 million swords of humanity's hatred who stabbed the Rose Bride instead of the prince so that the prince can go to the door. Um, And also, like, I'll just add, like, we're going to analyze Akio, I'm sure, uh, in detail. uh, But this, like, source of this complex that he has where... It's one, which is one part of his psychology motivation, which, um, like, he has a complex around depending on others. And he is like, oh, if you don't have power, then, like, you're forced to depend on other people. Um, and a lot of, the, like, that, you can see that as being rooted in, like, the trauma of, like, this event, um, where, like, they're overwhelmed by a mass of people. And, like, he has some sort of mixed, like, trauma, guilt, and resentment around, like, his sister, um, like, being killed to, like, protect him or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then we we get this final version, which is sort of the, the flashback, the Utena's flashback, which... Um, is interesting because it is, it is presented as perhaps like it is presented as the version that she has forgotten. Um, that the version that she remembers now seems to be more the fable that we've seen throughout the series, but this is some version that she has forgotten or is perhaps, you know, awakening to, um, to, to like transpose that metaphor, not forgetting something. Um, and it being like, the feeling that you have when you forget a dream of like, Oh, I I thought I promised something, but is in the way that you awaken from a dream, awakening to this like new understanding of, um, this, this like fable that she has about herself. Um, and again, the original fable kind of being like, well, she was so impressed by the prince that she wanted to, to be him. But here we actually see like 
this desire to surpass the prince, this desire to do what he will not do, um, to become a prince who can be the prince that is actually like worthy of this, this girl that she wants to save. Um, and so this is, a to correct again, his it, failure, basically what to correct his failure. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Oh, it's not like, Oh, I want to emulate you. Like, You've, yeah, you've like failed in doing this thing that I think is like we have to save Anthe. Yeah, and and for me, I think like again, I'm I'm returning to this like way that they figure it somewhat as a dream that she has that she awakens from. Um, but I think there's a a way that they are playing with. To what degree is this actually the the truth of what like she wanted, or to what is to what degree is this her realizing? what she actually wants, why she wants to be a prince, why that's important to her. Um, and it being a, a more recent development for her as it is in the series, that is this like reframing of all of the events. And that is, um, it is to some degree like synthesizing and bringing in what's going on with Andy. Um, mm-hmm. It is like, you know, we previously got, is it such a good idea to, to want to be a prince? Um, and we never really get like, why does Utena want to be a prince? Um, and here we kind of get this answer. And this is where I'm tying it more directly into like, um, certain queer experiences as well of like coming to understand that part of yourself, um, to understand this like desire that she has and to, to frame it more clearly. Um, to like come into a clear understanding of what she's she's doing the entire time. Um, yeah, there's a, there's that collapse of time, like or a, like yeah, like a, a certain collapse of time where like your past and your present, um, like become one, or like your present like alters your your experience of the past. Um, yeah, and like we see that obviously in the final episode as well like this kind of collapse of time or the suspension of the suspension of time um, in, in a way that is like um, open to interpretation. But I think like, I think you're like hitting on uh, what's happening. Yeah. Um, so, so do we want to kind of jump ahead to let's talk about, like the final two episodes, I guess, especially because of, especially in the final episode, this like final version that we get. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, Or, or is there more that you like really want to bring up now? (laughs) Um, no, I think, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, well, I think the, the one thing, um, that, is is good to touch on is like um the stuff around like utena becoming the prince or becoming the princess um i I think that's valuable like i think that'd be a good discussion to have before we get into the ending because it kind of like um it's part of the development that makes the ending like understandable in my opinion um, so, and, and I'll try and be quick about it, but like, um, the first thing is in episode 34, which we've just been discussing, 
there's that like this final conversation between Dios, Akio, and like the young Utena, um, where we get a modified version of um the like original statement that we've heard many times. Um never you lose your nobility even when you grow up. Um but now we also get the added uh an added part, which is um uh, even so like you're a girl and you will become a woman. Um so on the surface level there's like this literal um and, and this is like presented as like being uh, as a barrier, right? Like oh mm-hmm. well if you want to like save Anthony and become the prince, don't lose your nobility. But you'll probably forget it. And even if you don't forget it, then you're a girl and you're going to become a, a woman. And then, like, full stop. Um, so on surface level, there's, like, this literal, oh, well, being a prince is a gendered thing. Um, it's a male role that only men can do. So, of course, like, since you're a girl, you know, you'll obviously become a woman. And then, like... You won't be able to be a prince for that reason. Um, but I think the subtext, like the real, the operative, um, like content here, um, especially in light of the themes that are going on in the series and especially the the last few episodes, um, I think the subtext is like, there is somehow like a problem around maintaining like quote unquote nobility whatever that means in this context, um, under the, like, conditions of being a woman. Um, like, somehow, like, being a woman is... Uh, is going to be a barrier to, like, to achieving that. Not only, like, you can't do it because you're a prince, but, like, um, the, like, spiritual um, condition of nobility is, like... Uh, somehow more difficult like to achieve i think we can assume because of external um factors um yeah and then like following from this we see this continued uh imposition of like uh this like malicious imposition of gender norms um what i th- i think you put in the notes as like the feminization of utena um this is something we talked about as the crisis of like the Toga arc um, where Toga is trying to like manipulate her into thinking that she's the princess and he's the prince. Um, And that there's this bifurcation between like when these two paths um, and that if she can be convinced that she's the princess and embrace this destiny, um, then like, you know, she'll, lose her ability to become the prince um in some way uh and then obviously toga like this fails um but a lot of the like apocalypse arc i feel like especially the early parts of it is concerned with akio doing this uh to utena and seemingly getting like a lot further um to the point of like ultimate crisis um, yeah, where, and th- like, this is even something that, like, with the previous arc, we were already picking up on. Um, and I was kind of, I let you pick up on it first before I brought it up because there's a certain degree of like me having watched this. How much do I just know that this is coming? 
Um, but like you were commenting on how, you know, especially towards the end of the Otori Akio saga, the they're drawing Utena with these like more feminine lips and um, mm-hmm. like showing her hair flowing in this more feminine way more often. Um, and this becomes more explicit here. Uh, it's no longer just how are they animating her. Um and, you know, how are they drawing, like, the way that she poses her body, even. Um, but now it, it is going into this level of, we see her putting on more feminine clothing. We see her wearing earrings. Um, people comment on how girl-like she is. Um, you know, Akio does. Uh, Juri and Miki do. Um, and we, we also see, like, her internal experience of, like, struggling with her identity, right? Like... I think it's pretty clear that like so many of these scenes, like for example, the one that um, we brought up in the recaps of her, like trying on the earrings, um, the earrings become kind of like the focal point of this. um, But her trying on the earrings, uh, falling asleep uh, while she's doing it, her trying on the earrings and then Anthony's watching um, like, and and that's where this whole, um, like the scheme of Akio and Toga to give her the gift um, and the gift ends up being the earrings um, is like, you know, another ploy by Akio um, where the there's this possibility of these earrings as the gift given to her by her, like, you know, quote unquote prince. Um, yeah. Her like, you know, patriarchal, like older male figure who's trying to put her into this princess role, um, her identification with these earrings uh, moves her away from like an identification with the ring, which is representative of like this path of the prince. Um, and uh, there's a like a key scene where um, this is kind of reaching an advanced stage. Um, and she's like wearing the earrings. She's under the tree with Anthe. Um, and she's being like, oh, wow, like I really love these earrings, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she has a flash of like Anthe, um, like Im- impaled with the swords. Um, yeah. And it's this kind of direct connection um, and this style that we often see. Um, in, in the series uh, of like, yeah, the earrings and the path that they represent is also the path of like, Anthe condemned to suffer pierced with these swords. Um, and then like, yeah. um, you know, this it eventually like unravels uh, in the conflict that she has with, um, with Akio Um but not before she um, hits that like rock bottom in episode thirty-seven or whatever, um, where she takes off the ring, like loses um, loses her faith. Um, I think it's at the very beginning of episode thirty-seven. Um, she we see her like taking off her ring and being like specific as she's specifically remembering. Um, the like Dios's words about, Oh, you have to maintain your nobility. Um, and there's this moment where, you know, 
whether in like shame or guilt after seeing like Aki and Anthe, um, some sort of complex like shame and guilt um, or whatever, um, there's this implication that she feels she's lost her own nobility. Um, she takes off the ring and then she like has that sequence where um, she asks Aki on the date, the conversation yeah. that we, refer- we referenced previously happens. Well, and I think that there's some, like, especially her taking off the ring has such symbolic power for me because there's some, there's like to, to some degree, two ways that you can read it, which one is this taking off of the mobi- nobility, giving up on the dream of being the prince. Um, and there's also the, this ring is the ring that was given to her by like Dios, by the, you know, the prince who, um, you know, it is being figured as like the younger Akio here. Um, and so there's also to some degree at the taking off of the ring, like, you know, we get Akio commenting of like, ah, yes, we have to remember she she treasures this ring that a prince gave her. Um, and so she is ployed by gifts. Um, and so to some degree, the, the taking off the ring could be the rejection of Akio, uh, of this love that she had for Akio that has now been like dashed by um, by seeing him and the things that he's doing to Anthony. Um and this is why I think there's such symbolic power here is because um, what what Akio is accomplishing really is um, by even in turning against him, she is still like by by so thoroughly being the prince that inspired her, that is now the the person who is like, you know, groomed and abused her Um in that process, like both, she she is in some ways kind of doing both. Yeah, she, there's a, she that's might, exactly what like, I was going to say. In giving up on him, yeah, in giving up on him, she is also giving up on the dream of being a prince and sort of what needs to happen and what it you know after this rock bottom is the the separation, the more clear separation of yeah, it's sowing the like, seeds of like her taking control later. yes um and so it is this moment that it you know at once is like furthering her feminization but is also this to some degree necessary step to like um to take a step away from akio but in that moment it is kind of what he wants um yeah but also definitely. not what he want like i think that's part of why after that akio is like you know it remains to be seen um like has she accepted me the real man or this like prince that image that she has um because that ring like taking off that ring is i think he asks about it and my read is asked about it because he also doesn't know why is it that she's doing it and it is it's so commingled and that's it's what makes that like that image and that moment so powerful um because there's so much uncertainty about it and it's kind of both at once um, and also neither. And, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's just a great moment. It's a, the, the show like tying all this stuff together really wonderfully. Yeah. When I think, I think you're right. Um, there, there is like a degree of simultaneity happening there. Um, and uh, I think we could, we could even do like, I think we could go even deeper into this, but I know you want to get to the ending, so um, 
That's kind of why I'm just like, as I'm blowing through all this, I'm just like, all of this stuff, like, is just, uh, really, like, could be discussed a lot more. I feel bad for just blowing by it. Um, <laughs> it feels a little ridiculous. Um, but like, you know, I just want it to be, like to be noted before we discuss the ending because, like, I know that's what we both want to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of this culminates, um, or not culminates, but for the purposes of this brief analysis, um, culminating in this exchange um, centered around, uh, I think, another scene with uh, the earrings um, where Utena. Um, I believe the sequence is like, um, oh, Utena, uh, is like, oh, people are saying that I'm like a bit more feminine. Uh, what does it mean to be feminine? And Anthe responds by saying girls are all like the Rose Bride in the end. Um, so knowing what we know about the Rose Bride, um, this is a rather, uh, disturbing statement. Um, but tying it back into like it in order to understand um the conclusion of like uh Utena's flashback, um, the exchange between her and the prince, um, well, like the problem with you becoming the prince is that you're a girl and you'll become a woman eventually. Um so somehow, like at this point, uh like being a woman, at least in the definition that Anthe is advancing, and then also this connection that's being made, um, being a woman is somehow defined by like the condition of, you know, the Rose Bride, which is, um, you know, trapped, um, sacrificing, suffering. Um, and then if we take this further to, um, specifically like what's going on with Anthe, um, you know, potentially even like sexually abused. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm kind of remembering a thing that I, I was trying to bring up earlier um, or that I was thinking about bringing up earlier, which is, um, and this, some of this is like getting directly into how I'm reading stuff that's happening at the ending, which is that for me so much of, so like um, Utena finally seeing what's happening between uh, Anthe and Akio, um, and Anthe's suicide attempt, and then what we see with the duel and everything. Um, for me, I almost see these as, um, I mean, I think they're, they're the, the first part of like Utena realizing that the Akio is like sexually abusing Anthe, um, is sort of this like inciting incident that then for me, and if I'm trying to like put this together into a timeline, um, like it's part of what's going on with the suicide attempt then. Um, mm-hmm. and I, but again, I think there's a commingling because is it, Utena finds out Anthe attempts or is it in the attempt? That's when Anthe finally, or when Utena finally learns, not in this like literalized way necessarily of walking in on it, but that learns of like the abuse that Anthe is going through. Um, when she like saves, um, Anthe in that moment and then that becoming like figured into this fairy tale version of the duel of the you know the duel that is happening for me I think um, there are lots of ways of reading this series um, 
and I've talked about and sort of dismissed in like our first discussion episode, a lot of the stuff that really gets into like, what is the actual metaphysics of how does this world work? Um, there are readings that like take as literal when Akio says like this room is the top of the world, right? Is like the highest position plane in the world that like the entire world is the academy and blah 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 i i don't do this reading i don't i don't think this is a story about like an actual um world that is this like cyclically repeating um school where people are doing these tests i think that is the a level of like fairy tale and metaphor that is talking about these far more real things which is like sexual abuse and these cycles of abuse for me the the cycling of time that is happening in this series um is at once being the the cycle of abuse but then in the ending becomes the way that like like that cycle becoming replaced with these attempts this here is like how Utena was once saved. Here's how Utena is trying to save others. It becomes like the cycle of trying to help other people in your life. Um, uh, of the way that like the love that people have for each other can, um, in a way like multiply or replicate itself as, as people like continue to reach out to other people, um, and try to help. Um, and so for me, it, I think it is talking far more about, um, these like very real world situations that are happening to these girls. Um, and so when I'm watching all this dual sequence, I think a lot of it is um, talking about these internal struggles that are happening um, between these three characters, between Akio, this groomer and abuser, and then these two girls um, and the way that they are being manipulated against each other and the way that they finally are able to come together and, and help free each other. Um and in particular, like Utana being this one who's able to save Anthe, and we see it in this like more um, uh, seemingly real world suicide attempt, and then we also see it in this like freeing her from the coffin or telling her like come out of that coffin, like come out of this this um, drive towards like death and suicidality, and come into the world where like we can be like we can meet, we can be together, we can support each other. Um, that, that it, that is also this version of like saving someone from suicide. Um, and so for, for me, um, and the way that I'm reading this, um, I, I think like a lot of this stuff keeps like repeating because we are seeing these different like framings or, or views of it. And that, um, when we are seeing these, these shots of, um, Anthe seeing Utena with the earrings from her brother who is abusing her. Um, and these sorts of things. When we then get this like more um, metaphorical or symbolic like duel that is occurring with the gate that she's trying to free and everything. Um, I can then read into this like you, you can't be my prince because you are a girl. Um, and some of it being specifically like I am watching the way that, that, um, because I think also what's happening with, um, like the feminization of Utena is this moving from childhood into, um, like sexual maturity that mm -hmm. involves the, the certain loss of androgyny that exists as a child. Um, and that you move into this like, um, clear gendered existence. Um, and so Where, she's like, watching sex this is an actionable thing. 
and that yeah. like comes with these forces that are like constraining um, and I, and yeah. sex is an is an actual like possibility because your body is also becoming sexed through the process of puberty um in a way that like you know i'm i'm talking from a, a trans perspective of like um there are lots of different ways to like figure and think about biological sex and that like chromosomal um understandings of it is actually like <laughs> very inaccurate to how like society operates in any sort of way um and that a lot of chromosomal stuff is stuff that happens um that that determines but then can be interrupted by various methods um including just like genetic abnormalities um insensitivities to certain hormones um as well as like hormone replacement therapy stuff um but that that you know there are all these other processes that happen biologically that sex the body um that as someone who is on hormone replacement therapy, I have a, a body that has become like in some ways intersexed or that has, uh, has, you know, a mixing of like sexual characteristics from male and female. Um, because that, that is like puberty is its own process. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and so it is, a, it is a process that sexes the body has the development of of a lot of these secondary sexual characteristics that we associate with male and female um happens not when you are a child but when you go through puberty um that's when like breasts develop that's when clear distinctions between like bone structures happen um some of that exists to some degree in childhood but it becomes far more pronounced and develops far more in adulthood or like in this process of puberty and moving into sexual maturity um yeah, and, and even just socially like from like moving from child to adult like in that movement becoming like an adult like yeah is socially like sex is like socially permissible and like actionable on on that ground as well yeah and, like, and we, we also get this um like we've talked previously about in in japan which also to some degree exists in um like other cultures, including America, but I, I'm especially talking, like I'm trying to provide some of this Japanese um, framing and thoughts about this like age of discretion. Um, and so it also then being tied into when you are young, when you are, are less like clearly um, of this like sexual maturity, that is when like these homosocial or homoerotic behaviors are more acceptable. And this like moving into um sexual maturity and into adulthood um and also you know especially the like when you are graduating which they are not there yet but we have conversations about like what will happen when you graduate from high school yeah um, in the final episode yeah um and so all of that too is also like um it, it is that assertment of like there are now clearer gender roles that you have to fulfill there are now clearer expectations around sexuality and sex um and it is both a a thing that is like more possible um both like biologically um socially but it is also now being like more clearly constrained socially um and so and what's to them ties back to what i was saying earlier like we are seeing anthe watching utena move into this like sexual maturity and specifically into the sexual maturity around this person who is abusing her um 
And so, and I, I think a lot of what is happening in the like backstabbing into, in the, um, these images of the actual duels with swords is these two girls having to, to move past this, um, initial, like, you know, the, it is in the groomer's interest that the girls blame each other and then jealousy, and not him. Yeah. Yeah. That they, that they have this jealousy of each other, that they, um, feel responsible for their actions in this like relationship that they're in with him. And which um, Utena even like admits to in her conversation with Anthony when they're like reconciling, yeah. you know, after the suicide attempt. Um, and so this is also one of the reasons why for me, like this time becomes harder to, I, I don't see it as this clear, like here's the um, Utena seeing Akio and Anthony together. Here's the suicide attempt that happens later or, you know, um, and then like, here's the, um, the duel that occurs for me. All of this is kind of this um, in the way that like very traumatic moments um, become like weirdly stretched and, and like move beyond normal senses of time. Um, yeah. A, a lot Which of that is happening across here. this. Yeah. yeah, we also see that um, here too. Yeah. And, and so f- when I, when I'm doing this reading, I'm like, okay, we get like the conversation that's happening between um like Utena and Anthea after her suicide attempt. But I don't think we necessarily should believe that like that conversation has already happened when we are seeing like the backstabbing in the during the duel. And the like, why? And, you know, you can't be my prince because you're a girl. Like, I, I think in some ways it is like in the same way that we this series has done this like repetition of threes. You know, we we got the um, this is another like benefit to collapsing the Otori Akio saga and the Apocalypse saga. And I, I think they too do kind of exist as their own like um, arc of time because we get like the student council arc, which has this like we hit the themes and it sort of ends with this like struggle of Utena's um, selfhood at the end. Right. Um, yeah, Toga. Yeah. With, the, with the duel with Toga and, you know, it's specifically called the duel of the self. And then we have the um, black rose saga arc. And then we get like that final duel, which again is this like duel of selfhood to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is the person who says like, oh, you know, you're, you are like me. And then we have it happening here again with this duel with, um, Akio. And so we kind of get like, we almost get the same story in the same way that the fable has. We get like kind of the same arc told three times across the, the like, you know, three or, or four, if we split that last one into two, which I, again, I think there's value to, especially if we want to break these into manageable sections for a podcast, <laughs> which is part yeah. of why I chose to do the four so- sagas instead of the, the three. Um, but yeah, so like I, there's that repetition there. And then I think we get like different versions of the fable. And so then I think also we get in these final six episodes, these different versions of what are hap- what's happening here. Um, how are they feeling like they're betraying each other? How are they coming together and reconciling? Um, what does that yeah. look like? And we, we get different versions and tellings of it. Yeah. I think for me, um, as will probably become clear when we discuss the ending, um, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we're just in the ending now. 
Yeah, we're, yeah, we are. We're organically moving there. Um, I so like, there's no way you can just literalize like the events of this series. Like, it it doesn't make sense. And I mean, if someone like if people out there try and do those readings, like, more power to you. But yeah, I I want to do the like the slight. Um... There's a version that is, like, fully literalizing and is, like, oh, how do we explain how, like, the metaphysics of this, like, story work and blah, blah, blah. And that I have, like, absolutely no time for. Um, there's another version and it's just a version that, um, like, I was actually talking to, to Zhuo because we are recording this the day after our first discussion episode of, like, one through seven, I think, released. Um, and Zhuo was asking if we were going to bring in the novel Debian, which, um, like, the Herman Hesse novel. Mm-hmm. Um, which Utena does like this series references. Um, you can compare like Akio to stuff that's happening in there. There, there are certain, um, motifs like the world of light that, that come up in Utena as well. Um, and it is sort of a, and, and that is a, a novel that is more directly, um, for me than I think Utena is, um, dealing in Gnosticism. Um, and mm. these ideas of Gnosticism. Um, and so Joe was asking me, like, are you going to bring in Demi and are you going to talk about Gnosticism? And I was like, I don't like Connor might, but <laughs> I, we haven't yet. And I'm, I'm not going to, because I'm not a Gnostic. Um, yeah, no, just, just, oh, I, God. yeah, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I, I don't have, um, like my particular worldview and my my uh, like i'm coming from a Taoist perspective and so that that is a perspective that like does not narcissism has like these ideas of like the demiurge and things like that that within Taoism, um and especially my understanding of it like the Tao is not god um that you know there there is no like god or god stand in um, in my understanding of, of Gnosticism. And in fact, the, the, like, I do still recognize like what would be, um, like quote unquote deities. Like I, I put out cups of tea basically every day for Guanyin, but it is because I have this understanding from like the, the version of Taoism that I practice that, um, deities are, are less like literal beings in the world. Right. Um, but are instead ways that we as humans can try to understand some facet of our relationship with the Tao, which is this like broader, um, it, it is like, it is everything that we are a part of. Like we are a part of the, everything that is the universe or however you want to think of it. Um, and there are, there are systems within that. There's, um, like all of those come together and have like a certain flow and a certain thing that you can read into uh, intentionality into. And like so much of Taoism is like there, you can think of both the, the Tao that has like no compassion or no care for humanity. It is, it is completely um, without any desire or without any like intention. Um, there, it has no will. Um, and then you can also think of the Tao that is the Tao that has compassion. You can think of the Tao that is like the Tao that has, um, like that, that puts people through hardship, but all of this is trying to just understand your relationship in this like system of, of 
the world and of everything that is like fundamentally ununderstandable. Um, like you cannot fully understand it ever. Um, it is too far beyond like human comprehension. And so we have to like try to understand individual parts of it to, to understand how we fit into it. Um, and so I, that me having that world view about like, <laughs> this is my faith um, means that I watch something like this and I'm not like, ah, this is about like, like Akio is the Demiurge, right? I'm like, no, this is, this is us using these stories of like Demiurges of, of the Lucifer who tempts um, of these duels and all of this to understand these like situations that we go through. And of course I'm then going to tie it to like, for me, this is a story of two girls who are abused um, and are like, who love each other. And I, we can talk about like, what do we think that love is, but that do love each other, at least in some way. Um, And Utena in particular is the one who like really provides this hope to Anthe to um, finally break free of her abuser. Um, That's sort of, for me, those final scenes is is Anthe sort of saying, you don't think that she accomplished anything, but she did. What she did is she changed, like she changed me. She revolutionized me. She showed to me that like, I can leave. Um, that I can do the steps that are going to like help me out of the situation. Um, and that is an important thing that like when, when you're in, in abuse, like that, you know, it's not your fault if you haven't come to that realization yet. And yet like being able to recognize the ways that you can move yourself away from that situation is an important thing, I think. And that a lot of people who have escaped abuse will talk about like that being an important moment is recognizing what is happening is abuse and like figuring out how to get yourself out of that situation. Um, and, and not just like remaining passive because that passivity is the thing that like um, the abuser will continue using to abuse you. Um and again, like I'm trying to avoid because I it's none of this is like and so it's the person's fault if they haven't come to that yet because like all of this stuff is just very difficult stuff to move out of and and right. to like figure out and that person should never abuse anyone in the first place um, and like if it takes someone a long time it's not their fault for figure like <laughs> abusers intentionally cut off the people who might be able to help save them um, but anyway as someone who like you know, I've had an abusive ex. Um, I only recently have like come to realize the ways that, uh, some of the ways that she abused me that included raping me. Um, and so of course, when I'm reading the story, that's like what I'm going to, to look to. That is what the story is talking about for me. Um, in a way that like, this is, (laughs) this is the moment where I cry. If I was going to do it on the podcast, I was worried that I was going to, um, I'm not, but, um, you know, I, I remember being emotional when I got to the end of the series, the first time that, that I watched it. Um, I ride an exercise bike while I watch most of our anime for this podcast. And for these last two episodes, I was just like on the bike bawling. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of it is just, you know, when I watched this, I didn't know that I was a woman. Um I hadn't figured out a lot of what was happening with me in terms of queerness. And I also hadn't really come to like process and understand the ways that I had been abused. Um, and so all of it hit me far more intensely now. Um, and also I cried while writing the synopsis for the last two episodes. Um, and so for me, like this is, 
this is what I'm bringing to the series in a way where, um, again, I want to like leave space for, I know there are readings of this that go more into like people who are Gnostic read this in a way that might tie more into some of the metaphysical ways that this world is operating. Um, and it's just, I have no interest in it. <laughs> um, and yeah. so sorry to those people. You can write into the question bucket. I'll happily read your emails, but um, <laughs> um, <laughs> ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. <laughs> I'll let you talk about um, well, I mean, I, I think that's a beautiful reading and, um, one that is like that necessary to bring in, uh, to have a complete like discussion of this series. Um, for me, I think it's, so the, the discussion of like, oh, Gnosticism, Taoism, like, you know, you, you have these like different lenses and like, oh, there's like shades of Gnosticism or maybe direct references in Utena. Um, for me, this is exactly why I, I'm really convinced that Eliad's thought is uh, an excellent framework for like approaching the series. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't think it is like operating on the level of like one specific faith, but I do think it's, very concerned with like religion and myth and like the series itself um, in a way that is very significant to what it is like is about moving between like, like time and space, like sacred and profane time and space. And like the, like, relation of like people to like myth and religion and how like uh like the various ways that that um like plays out um and in like all of this is inscribed into the show in a way that like again for me personally like Like, there's a degree of unreality, there's a degree of, like, um, suspension of time, like, suspension of place, or, like, distortion of place, um, that is, like, this is literally inscribed into the show, like, it's part of the world of the show, um, and all of it is, like, quote-unquote real, um, in a way that's important, and so I don't want to be, like... Like, I personally am, like, what this show is, like, the world of this show is such that, like, some of this stuff is, like, the events that are presented to us and the phenomena that are presented to us are, like, phenomena that are generated out of, like, a complex mixing of, like, myth and history. And, like, for that very reason, like, they can't be literalized because there's, like, like there's uncertainty that is like part of like the DNA uh, of like, like the only like literal thing about the show is that there's like uncertainty and there's like mixing and blending between these different like planes. And for that very reason, you can't just like, uh, you can't just like totalize it onto like a literal 
like, oh yeah, well, you know, Akio's Tower is the highest point and the whole world is the school. Um, like, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think that works. Um, and then in, like, personally for me, I also, like, in my reading of it, like, I find myself drawn to, like, not stripping away, um, like, I don't just go for the full allegorical reading, which I think in a way does, like, tries to, like, like, um, condense, like, all of these phenomena back onto, like, a single plane again, which is that plane of allegory where like, Oh, this is all like, um, these events are like, like an allegory for like the working out of this, like internal conflict. Um, I'm not saying that's not valid because like it absolutely is. Um, uh, but for me, like, I think there's significance in like holding out the, um, quote-unquote reality of like the phenomena even as they are like um phenomena that can't be like constrained or described in terms of like literal reality um if that makes yeah, sense for me for me there's like a because there is a certain degree of like of course i fixate on the um the like deeply personal and um real and like traumatic events and i just want to insist um and repeat that is a valid (laughs) reading well but so what i also want to say though is that like so and when i'm when i'm talking about this like way that i think about things in terms of taoism like i i do not give cups of tea to guanyin which is this act of like so guanyin is this like representation of the the dao that is compassionate the the dao that like that desires for um, all living beings or like all beings to like achieve this, like harmony to be um, fulfilled and to be happy. Um, And this is just like one aspect of trying to understand like what is happening in the world. But, but it is this recognition of like, there is this way that the world can take care of you and that you can take care of the world. Um, And so when I'm leaving cups of tea to Guanyin, I, I'm leaving cups of tea and I'm thinking about people who um, I want compassion for. And I I ask Guanyin for like her to reach out compassion to these people. Um, but when I'm doing that, I'm also recognizing that what I'm saying is that I want the world to be more compassionate to those people and that like my actions are a part of the world. And so if I extend more compassion to those people, I am part of like guanian extending action to those people i'm part of like the world being compassionate um i'm giving this example because i i think that like there are all these layers and i don't think the layer is you condense it all down to and now we're telling the story of these two girls but also because this story of the two girls is expanding out to we are also talking about these like broader systems of patriarchy of um, sexual abuse that happens not in like this specific context, but in these broader contexts, we are talking about like puberty and the way that people move through it. And so um, it, it is also this way, like the myths are informing the, the real world events, but also these real world events, like the series itself is its own fable or fairy tale that is talking about these like broader things. Um, that 
it, it is not just the condensing down of the the like allegorical readings onto this like more literal reading, but also the expanding out of the more literal events of like here's the suicide attempt, here's the sexual abuse to let we're talking about these other things. We are talking about like the ways that stories are told. We you know, we are commenting on like magical girl anime as a genre and how, you know, stuff that is happening in here makes me think of the end of season one of Magic Knight Ray Earth, which I guess yeah. I won't reveal here in case people haven't watched that. Again, please go back, watch Magic Knight Ray Earth, listen to our episodes. You um, must important. listen to Ghost Divers in sequence, in chronological order. You must do it. If, um, you're, if you have not, you have, must stop right now and go back to, <laughs> to Ghost in the Shell, episode one. No, I want people to be able to pick and choose series that they care about, but I no, if you're watching absolutely not. No. In particular, if you were watching our Utena, <laughs> like watching along and listening to our Utena episodes, you should go do Ray Earth. Even if you haven't seen Ray Earth, it's a good show. Um I brought it up in particular because um again, I Utena does stuff incredibly well. Um it it is like a a classic uh, masterpiece of like you know this mode like this genre this um these sorts of stories for a reason and yet what it is everything that happens in here is not particularly new um it's just done very well and it's a thing that a lot of people will watch and not watch the other magical girl anime and then just say oh wow this is like all of this stuff it's just doing everything and it's like well no it's it's like specifically pulling lots of the stuff that has been happening in like this mode of storytelling for a very long time um but i think it is also intentionally in a way that like ray earth was as well um commenting on the stories themselves um is thinking about magical girl anime and the stories that they are about and and like grappling with that to some extent um and trying to like provide other possibilities um so yeah like i have this very specific reading that is like this very personal reading but i i agree with you that it is not just everything collapses down to this is just an allegory for like sexual abuse um there are ways that the the like story that we are seeing that is this more like quote-unquote realistic story of utena and anthe and akio is also being allegory for other things that this series is talking about. Um, that is talking about, like, you know, coming into maturity, is talking about puberty, it is talking about, like, the genre, it is talking about systems and difficulties and breaking from those systems. Um, all that is, like, commingled, and that's, you know, again, that's part of, like, how I think about like I, Taoism has at its heart this relationship between the Tao and the day, the day sort of being like the individual, um, you as the person who is like practicing. Um, and yet all of it is like, it, it is not just like, how do I better myself, but also how do I like improve the world? Like it is a, it is a relationship that flows both directions, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think that's happening throughout the series as well. Um, these things are all interconnected and are, are relating to each other. Um, and so, yeah, and I think it's also like on a broad level, and this is me like 
I'm going to try and segue into my reading of the ending here. Um, on a broad level, it's also about like how people individually and collectively like relate to reality um, and the role of like, I'm just going to say religion as a placeholder, but I don't necessarily mean like um, religion as like a specific organized um, set of beliefs. Um, yeah. But, but, like, but also as, you know, to, to tie it to like perhaps the furthest away from this is just like, Oh, what are magical girl anime stories about is also like something that I think is in the same realm of what you're talking about. Um, right. Like uh, the transcendent is, is what I'll say. Like, because one of the key themes of Utena, the one of the core motivations of every character, um, one of the like structural principles of the world, um, literally on every level of this show, um, this is a like predominant theme is the idea of like eternity and accessing eternity. Um, and now like having seen the entirety of the show, um, I'm even more convinced that like, um, the framework of like Eliade is appropriate. Um, obviously it's not like a one for one, but it's just convenient. It, it helps to like, so like, um, I think, figure out like what's going on in the show around this um where like and i'm not gonna get too deep into like the theory here um but uh, again like um eliad talks about like in uh in civilizations that are like religious civilizations or for religious like individuals like the function of religion is like um it's a transcendent function that allows you to like act liter literally access eternity um by reactualizing um like mythic patterns or like mythic paradigms um events that have like occurred in mythic time um can be reactualized like through ritual um and not only provide like a structural um, basis for like giving meaning to like the lived existence of individuals and societies, um, but also like as a kind of um, escape from like the terror of history, which is just this like, um, you know, the existential crisis of existence stripped of all transcendent meaning, um, where, you know, you're just governed by the uh, your life is entirely subject to the cruel contingencies of um, randomness, basically. Um, and like in this show, um, you have this interesting critical engagement with mythic paradigms um, that is like, especially played out in the ending. Um so, like, with Akio, and I'll just start with Akio because I think it helps frame this whole thing up. Um, when we finally get the revelation of Akio's motivations, it's revealed that, um, first of all, he, he has a very divided and, like, contradictory, confused, 
uh, understanding of like himself and also um, all of this stuff around like the Rose myth. Um, so like he, on one hand, he insists it's not real. Um, and on the other hand, like, you know, he's literally experiencing its reality, um, smashing the sword against like the Rose gate. Um, but the thing with Akio is that he has, uh, he's been cut off from like an experience of eternity. Um, in the sense that he was once like Dios, but that part of him has died. Like we know that. Um, he says that explicitly. Um, and he can't reaccess it. He doesn't know how. And he's like vacillating on whether or not um, he even wants to. Um, he's like blindly pursuing this, um, the control over this like power to bring the world revolution. Um, but only for the sake of power. Um, he doesn't have any concrete plans. Um, he has no vision of the future, um, except for like what already is, right? Um, like he has, uh, dialogue in the last few episodes, um, where, um, he continually returns to like, Oh, this is just how it is. So this is just how, like, it can, like, the only way it can be. Um, like, oh, well, the prince died when Anthe was first called a witch. Oh, well, um, now Anthe is the witch and, like, that's the only way she can be happy. Oh, well, you know, now, like, the Rose Bride has to suffer eternally and that's just, like, how it has to be. Um, so the only, uh, thing that he can think to do is to like oh well uh is to subjugate utena in this um you know prince princess relationship um and allow the status quo to continue basically like oh well anthony will continue to be the rose bride there's no possibility of saving her um there's no like real vision for how to revolutionize the world it's just something that i want to do because like you need to have power um and that's all i care about um, whereas like, uh, and, and this is why he can't, um, like, um, access the, uh, the Rose Gate. This is why he can't get through it. Um, because he's lost faith and he is like someone who, um, he's a case of a, a person who on one level has like, because he's lost access to, um, this level of experience, um, he's like, uh, like desolate in this way. Um, and there are other levels to, to him as well that we have discussed and I think we'll probably continue to. Um, but he's obsessed with this like dead present. Um, whereas like, so with that set up, um, then I think we can like understand the ending, which is, um there is a like behind the rose gate is like the mythic paradigm that is like governing ex governing this world which is this paradigm of like the rose bride 
um, the Rose Myth. Um, and we see the various ways that it like intrudes into the reality of the world, um, how it defines everybody's lives. Um, and yeah, uh, I think too, like a thing that we haven't mentioned, cause I, I brought it up twice. I think in the synopsis, there's the, um, they talk about the light, which is the thing that's in the, like behind the Rose gate. Um, and then they give that thing of like, you know, that, which is eternal, um, that which shines the power of miracles and the power to bring the world revolution. Um, and when they say the, like those versions, we see that, which is eternal Sionji, um, that which shines, there's like Miki, the power of miracles, Jury, and then the power to bring the world revolution, um, Toga. And so we like, we get the, the four of the student council, like the main four, um, coming up as, as like, all different ways of looking at or viewing this thing. Um, and the, the various things that they have desired, right. Um, the various yeah. things that they are seeking, like Sionji is the one who, um, often talks about the eternal. Um, the Miki is the one like that, which shines, which I feel like has the, the less like clear direct here. Like this is a word that Miki talks about all the time. The power of miracles is just like extremely figured in with jewelry stuff. And then, you know, Toga, over and over again is the one who's saying like the you know revolutionize the world the world revolution blah 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 um yeah and i think i think they're all tied together um which is yeah. like what you're saying different facets of this thing um it so like the power to bring the world revolution is like functionally the power to like get behind the rose door right um yeah and to like access like that which is eternal um which is like this mythic paradigm um uh, again like this eternal return this paradigm that continues to be returned to um in order to like access eternity um and to like give some sort of structuring uh like coherence to like quotidian or like profane experience um and but in this world, like the mythic paradigm is this Rose Bride paradigm where like the Rose Bride, Anthe, uh, has to be imprisoned and suffer eternally. Um, hence, like when that door is opened, that space is like Anthe trapped in a coffin. It's this kind of like it's a symbolic. Um, it's, sim- it's symbolic of this event that continues to like recur eternally or continues to be like returned to eternally as a defining like um, structure of the world. Uh, and what happens is Utena opens the coffin, uh, releasing Anthe, um, and then like the space crumbles, um, which seems to represent like the destruction of this um, paradigm. Uh, afterwards, we see it, you know, we're back at the school it seems to be largely unchanged. Um, but it soon like in my reading, um, becomes clear that there's this new mythic mythic paradigm that's centered on Utena. Um, and I say this because yes, like we hear these rumors where students are speculating about, um, very like literal reasons why she might've left the school. Um, but there's also a clear, like, a degree of unreality in 
the um like lack of memory um and in like the presentation of like the collective memory of Utena, um which I think is most clear in uh Wakaba um seemingly like having forgotten Utena entirely and like um but like yet recreating this relationship that she had with Utena um with this other like unnamed girl. Yeah, we're now um, the unnamed girl's the one who jumps on her back and you know, while she's in the window. Um, exactly. Um so I think like to try and tie this all together, I think Utena has a critique of religion um that is still like um operative on the same like as a critique of religion, but um it's still operating on the level of like uh myth of like sacred and profane that um Eliod's like theory lays out. Um and I think the critique follows like in this fashion. Um the like mythic patterns that govern our lives and our existence, um and again, the, which is the vehicle that we access eternity through, um, they have content that has consequences, right? Like in various world religions, yeah. these mythic patterns that they set forth um, are often like laden with social consequences, um, obviously, like including gendered roles. Um, just take, you know, Christianity, for example, um, the social consequences of like the virgin. Uh, the archetype of the Virgin Mary um, have obviously been um, immense. Uh, so this obviously like has consequences for the type of existence that becomes possible in like profane or like IE real space and time. Um, but with that said, the existence of like the mythic and mythic paradigms is necessary. Um, so we're not cut off from the experience of eternity and left to like what Eliot would call the terror, the terror of history. Um, and, and I would say Akio is an example of someone who like in the series is um, cut off. And um, this is not to absolve his like abuse or, uh, you know, making excuses for him. Um but part of the crisis of his character is that um, he's like desolate because he's, he's lost this. Um, And it seems that like the series is saying um, it's not that like the mythic should be or can be destroyed, um, but that it needs to be revolutionized like periodically um, to create a new world uh, and open up these possibilities for liberation. And so that this like process of revolution, of bringing the world revolution, is itself part of the structure, like the mythic structure of this world, um, and a necessary part um, that like uh, creates openings, just like the kind that we, we see play out here, um, creates openings for liberation, um, when like um 
these structures like become oppressive or in order to ameliorate like the oppressiveness of these structures. Um, And for me, like this is ties in with this like series long engagement um, with these ideas of like order and disorder um, where we're seeing the series like constantly put forward to hold together in one hand um, this sense of danger around like total disorder. I'm thinking of like the Black Rose saga um, as well. Like there's this very real danger of total disorder where, you know, um, you lose these like mythic patterns, you lose the meaning and order that they bring to like society, um, to human experience and then to reality. Um, and then you just have this prevailing disorder that is um, harmful um, versus like the terror of the oppression of dominant systems um, that are like founded on and like carry out um, like these um, mythic ideas. Um, and I think the ending provides a certain uh, poignant resolution um, to this tension by being like, this revolution has occurred like the world in a way has been recreated um, in the sense that like it's a world with a new possibility or like um, it's a new world with the possibility to be like um, to lift the line from like Utena and Anthe's dialogue, um, the world where we'll meet, right? Like um, a world where like, you know, not only can Anthe be liberated, um that this like patriarchal paradigm that was prevailing um can now somehow be like rewritten or overturned um but then to take it even further um potentially the world like that realizes the miracle that jury wants um the world yeah. where like anthe and utena can be together romantically um, this this is a thing that I, I kind of want to bring into that I think is related to this and that I, I I find interesting with, you know, we talked about the facets of like the light of the world or whatever. Um, and in the pairing, I, I we see this like further pairing that's happening where, so again, the ones that we get, um, I'm going to like separate it into two groups. There's Sionji and Toga. Um, and Akio, and we've talked about the ways that they are aligned and I, you know, we can maybe also get into, um, the ways that like, you know, Akio and, and, or, um, Sionji and, and Toga sort of fight each other, but then also have this friendship, the way that mm-hmm. like they become at odds with Akio at parts during, especially the ending, um, both of them. Um, but you know, like Sionji talks about the eternal, um, Akio talks about the power to revolutionize the world, which is also what, um, did I say Akio or Toga? Both Akio and Toga talk about that. Um, They're all and then also, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like in particular, Akio has like, Akio talks about the power to revolutionize the world and eternity. Sionji more often just does the eternity part. Toga is mostly just doing the power to revolutionize the world, but there's like them all together we get the same sort of thing that then happens with, you know, um, and we've talked about this previously too, but like, you know, Miki being that which shines, but then 
you know, there's the way that that ties into some of the stuff where, um, you know, the, the original duel between Miki, like the very first one that we see between Miki and Utena, we talk about the way that it, it also somewhat like complicates, like they both have this desire to be with Anthe so that Anthe can be free. Um, we talked about the ways that like, we can be more critical of how Miki approaches it maybe than Utena, but that there's like still something going on there. Um, and we also get this specifically that which shines returns with like to shine together. Right. Yeah. That like that um, in particular, Anthe kind of takes on, but that is sort of also figured, I think under Utena. Um, and then also jury talks so much about the power of miracles. Um, but also like, even in that first duel, Utena is the one who in some ways like enacts a miracle when the, the sword blade falls and knocks the, you know, flower from her chest. Um, she also has another one where she strikes the, the pendant off of Jury's neck instead of the, um, the flower, which could be this like moment of a miracle because she's spared from losing the duel technically, but then it has like struck the thing that she's actually caring about more. And so she sacrificed, like she takes the flower off herself. Um, but that's like coming in and, and then this also gets developed where, you know, and this is the, the next scene that I, w- I want to talk about, but the conversation of like jury saying, do you feel about, um, Anthe the same way that I feel about Shiori? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like, you know, we have those four things that are given as like, this is the light of the world. And two of them are kind of aligned with this like Akio Sionji Toga thing and then two of them are a little bit more aligned with um like utena anthe and um miki and jury and we're we we especially in the end we kind of even we see like stuff shifting around but i think we can still kind of for a lot of this like separate them out into separate groups um again this gets convoluted and we can talk about that sure but, yeah <laughs> Um, because all of them are kind of at odds with each other at different moments. Um, but I, I do think that like that separating out is interesting. Um, and also in the way that, um, you know, the power to revolutionize the world and to like obtain eternity moves more into this, like the power of miracles, that which shines, um, when Utena achieves it rather than like Akio in opening the door. Right. Um, yeah. It 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 is not um, the the prince who you know in the telling that we get from Toga and Sionji, the prince opened and showed the the girl in the coffin something eternal. It is the the prince who is the young, um, and then like you know present day Utena opening the coffin and then showing the girl Anthe, like the world in which they can shine together. Um, and so it is this thing of like these different versions and the different ways that they get reasserted and the way that it gets refigured. Um, and that all of it is kind of contained within this thing, but it is like, how are you looking at it in this given moment? How are you reframing it? Um, how, how are you thinking about it differently? Um, which I think yeah. ties into stuff that you're talking about with this, like how, how do you revolutionize the, you know, but I also think there's like a certain amount of like, how do you like reframe or how do you look at it from a different facet? 
Um, how do you like approach this differently and um, reinterpret it and and like change the the lens through which you view things? Um, yeah, there's um, there's this complex movement from like um, like Utena revolution revolutions geez, revolutionizes the world by moving from like the profane like into the sacred and like literally like she has the power to literally change like the mythic paradigm <laughs> that like on the plane of eternity that like governs the world and like yeah. by doing that like she then like changes the world right yeah. and so it's like a movement like to and then like to the mythic and then like back into the world with the result being that like in the case of like Anthe, like that the world is revolutionized such that not only can Anthe be free, but also like this relationship, like we can be together, you know, um, this relationship is like possible. Um, whereas like all of this stuff around Akio is about like this possibility being dead and like um like akio himself being someone who is like oh like i was that and i and like that part of me died right which is something he like literally says um like all of this stuff around like um the current like oppressive system of the world like um this patriarchal like heteronormative social order um that seems to be like you know Akio as we discussed last time is like the symbolic representative of with all of this like you know traditional masculine symbolism around him and his actions um uh but like this oppressive system um is something that like it has no future akio understands that um and so all he's left with is like rage violence and resentment um and a desire to like dominate um that arises out of those like feelings um and i think the series is also like you brought up like toga and sayonji and then to a certain extent miki um I think the series has a very like critical, but also humanizing look at those characters as like, even though they're not really the main like focus, which is obviously Utena and Anthe, um, and like femininity under these conditions. Um, the series also has a very humanizing look at like, what about like boys who are like born into this system and like the way that it, uh, like distorts them because in the same way that we talk about like oh utena and anthe are like young and therefore subject to these like forces um and we would like do well to remember that they're young um i think there's a a degree that that should be noted for like sayonji and toga um even with the horrible things they do um like 
we can see them in their relation to Akio and see like how this um how this stuff plays out like why they're not the ones who like are able to bring the world revolution because they're like subject to like taken in by um like these forces and this ideology um to like a you know maybe greater extent um but there's also like a humanizing um aspect in those like uh presentations um and i guess all of this just to say like um like i feel like the series is um that's my read of like the ending and what's going on with the series here um and what akio like generally represents and, and what the movement is like um in the ending like uh like what the change is um when this like um recreation of the world occurs like it's not apocalyptic um it's a recreation and it uh with like the you know this new possibility um that is going to like give a future that um like Akio can't imagine yeah um well, this is one of the things, too, because I, I often see interpretations of, like, what happens at the end as nothing is changed in, like, the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. Everything is returned to normal. Um, but I think there's also a certain amount to when Anthe is sort of saying, like, you don't see what's really happened to have you. That you can watch those scenes and you can still see, like... um things are paralleling what happened before, but like, you know, we are not seeing Wakaba pining over Sionji. We are seeing Wakaba with this other girl and like sort of being in this position that Utena was. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it, you know, in some ways you can read into that, like the, um, the way that like queer relationships in particular often have this like, here's the person who you like first develop these things with and figure stuff out. But like, then you move beyond or like can realize it in other ways. Um, we also get like jury dueling and then saying like next, and then Shiori like excitedly stepping forward and mm-hmm. like being the next one in this way that seems like, um, again, you could read as eager to duel with jury, but like, could be this like more removal of the the enmity that like existed there um we also see like toga and sionji dueling but it seems to be more in this like friendship way than we have at times throughout the series um and then Ami seem seeming to be happy to like make tea while they duel um you know when miki is showing suabuki and like mentoring suabuki how to take the minutes right um and then like there is uh kozui in the background at the piano watching them um and like seeming content in that moment and so i think there's also a certain amount to like to what degree has she opened up the possibility as well for them um that you're talking about here but i think is also figured in the those scenes um but i do want to like specifically talk a little bit about um i think there there are two and i kind of i want to start with like 
the conversation with Juri and Utena that mm-hmm. I keep talking about. Um, but I think we can then also talk a little bit about like, which we haven't really gotten to, but I just also mentioned there, um, Toga and Sionji, which you, you've kind of touched on to some degree, like to what degree are they um, replicating Akio, but also um, resisting him in some of these final moments. But then also the way that like, you know, the, the rope, Sionji being the rose bride for for Togo. <laughs> we'll talk about. Oh, it. Let's yeah. start with absolutely. Let's start with um, that conversation with Jury and the again. Like I obviously have this read here of like yes, it is different because there is some sort of um, remind me like again. So me, your read your read is that Jury's straight, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> that like a thing that. I have talked about or that we have talked about um, extensively with like the jury Shiori stuff. One is that there's lots of shades of um, queer girl pining after a straight girl. Uh, But we've also talked about the ways and that I think like the, the sort of epilogue here that I just discussed um, could also present this version of, um, you know, there's there's also the way that you can read Shiori as like having this internalized homophobia, um, and the way that she is like expressing that is through this like um, desire to like control this this like glee in learning that Jury has a crush on her, but like using it in these like self serving ways that that don't um, like a sadism basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but having like in her own way, having this obsession with jewelry as well, um, that, that could be this like form of, um, interest in someone when you are like repressing the actual healthy way that you could express that like attraction or, um, pull that you feel towards someone. Um, but again, like, even if you have the reading, like, it doesn't matter if you have the reading of, jury is pining out after a straight girl or that they actually do both love each other, but they are unable to um, express it. Um, they are like, it is unable to be fulfilled in this moment because of like Shiori's, you know, repression is the, another way that you can read that. Mm-hmm. Both of those are ones where um, Utena is asserting like, well, what I have with like Anthe is this reciprocal thing. Um, and there's still this like betrayal, right? Um, there's still this, this other stuff that's happening, but it, it is this like, in, in some ways it is like this deeper hurt that you can have when you are lovers with someone, uh, or when you love someone very deeply and you have made yourself vulnerable, right? Utena is, yeah. is stabbed in the back because she does, she so trusts Utena or Utena Anthe. is stabbed in the back because she so <clears throat> trusts Anthe. Um, I'm just yeah. like fully mixing up names at this point, <laughs> but that's okay. It, I think the and, dialogue. And so what, what I find interesting about it is that in a way that, you know, we talked early on in this series of this, or in like our discussions of this series, that the series seems far more willing to just talk explicitly about queer desire. Um, and this is a, a weird instance where I, I do think no matter how you read it, that this is a love story between these two girls. Um, and of course I read it as a queer love story, um, as a, a story of romantic love between these two girls. Um, but I think 
in a way in this moment, the show wants to assert a thing that we talked about with like Ray Earth of um, how Ray Earth plays with the ambiguity of love, that love can be many different things um, and, and uses that to talk about queer relationships because um, you can have someone basically saying like, well, I love them as a friend or whatever, but just saying love in a way where you could then read it multiple different ways. Um, and to some degree that it feels like there's almost this, um, of course I have the queer reading that they love each other like romantically. And that is part of what the scene with jury is doing. But I think also the series is intentionally wanting to then expand it out to, we are talking about like love broadly. Um, part of what we are talking about here is like the love between people. Um, again, the, like the way that this can flow in, in both directions. Um, I'll let you respond. <laughs> oh, no, I, no, I think you're right. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, I think the dialogue specifically goes like, um, Utena and Jury are talking about Shiori and Jury is like, oh, why can't I like control my own feelings? And then immediately thereafter says like what will you do about anthe or like what about anthe um so we have the connection there like jury shuri anthe utena um and utena is like what and jury is like well you love her obviously and then utena is like well it's not like it's not like you and shuri um it's pure or i can't remember the word that's used but like Oh, ours is pure, but like, well, I guess yours is pure. Um, and then has some, has some serious trouble, like articulating what the difference is, um, or what exactly her feelings are. So there's like all of this to say, just to reinforce the points you made, where there's that ambiguity there, um, that could easily be read as like, Utena having an organic reaction, being like, oh no, it's not sexual. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's not sexual. Or, um, like, oh, I never really articulated it to myself as sexual, but now that I'm thinking about it, like, now I'm confused and, like, flustered. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, um, from a script. This is not the translation that I watched. This is not the um, Nozomi one, but it is one that I, I found online. Um, uh, let me let me look here. Um, I'll just start from like, I guess the beginning here of this is like the badminton scene. So um, Utena says, I don't see the two of you together very often. Is this another dual challenge? Miki says, we received letters from the end of the world. Um, jury, they said that you've been chosen as the one to revolutionize the world. Utena and Miki, and we wanted to know what you intended to do. Utena, the power to revolutionize the world, huh? Sounds pretty cool. But all I'm doing is just pretending to be a prince. Jury, in the end, none of us could beat you. Miki, oops. Um, jury, thinking back, despite being a member of the student council, I was thinking only of myself. Uh, and it's pathetic. <clears throat> um, but I've got my hands full of my own problems even now. Utena, are you talking about Shiori-san? Jury, why is that? Why can't I c have any control over my own feelings? And what will you do about Anthe? Utena, what? Jury, you love her, right? Utena, well, 
it's not like your love. Mine is pure, and, well, I guess yours is pure, too, but but I can't. Himemia, any longer. Um, and then Nanami shows up. Um, I think in the translation that I had, the word that they used was genuine. Um, it was like, yeah. mine is genuine, Same. and, well, Same. I guess yours is genuine, too. Um, but, yeah, this translation use, uses pure. Um, and I don't speak uh japanese well enough to be able to like <laughs> do a full here's what that word is etymology um, i also don't yeah. know if i can find the yeah they only have the japanese scripts for 38 and 39 here um but yeah i i just wanted to kind of put that in there of like here's a translation that i read i'm fairly certain the version that i watched they say genuine not here um but you know there is this ambiguity, as you're saying, that is being played around with. Yeah, um, but nonetheless, a linkage, right? So, like, yeah. even even in so far as the content, uh, like creates this kind of ambiguity. The the sheer fact of the linkage, um, is undeniable. Yeah, uh, and also and, that regardless of how you translate the word, um, Utena is saying mine's different because it is this thing it is pure or genuine and then going well which is not to say that yours isn't (laughs) um like i'm not going that far um which again it is is not it's it is a thing that i think it is further asserting like yes there is a difference and it is a difference that is more of like realization than it is of um Like, uh, of actual, like, like, emotion. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think... There, agree, agreeing with, like, what you've set forth, I, I genuinely do think that um, there's a strong reading to be made um, for both, like, oh, this is the love between friends, Um that like ultimately this is you know Utena um, and Anthe love each other like non romantically as friends, um, and then like an equally strong um, reading that it's like they love each other romantically, um, and, and also I will say like uh, that e- equally part of that sentence is up for debate like. Um, I'm sure there are people who are like will make a very strong argument one way or the other, um, and that's fine. I, all, all I mean to say is I think both of those arguments are tenable, um, but both of them need to be like for a decent discussion of Utena. I think both of them need to be acknowledged because both of them are like in in the material. Um, yeah, and for me personally. Um, I also go with the latter, um, just because it feels to me, I, I kind of hesitate to use this reference because I know a lot of people feel strongly about the series I'm about to reference. Um, but it has a, uh, it, it reminds me of like the final season of Legend of Korra, um, in like, oh, there's this final like realization of you know this is the person that i like that i love um 
and I'm actually like romantically attracted to this person. Um, I, I think it's similar in the sense of like, it portrays a process of realization, right? Like that um, for various reasons, like the people involved, um, like the attraction is not like immediately felt or registered or acknowledged um, and that it takes like a, a process um, of like the entirety of the events of this series uh, for them to like come to grips or to articulate it to themselves. Um, yeah. That this is what's going I will, on. I will say, I think Utena handle there. So stuff around like legend of Korra that I'm just going to say here. Cause it has come up. Um, like I, I agree that there's a similarity here. Legend of Korra is also only in that I think respect. Part of the only in that respect. Part, yeah, <laughs> and part of what is contentious about it is um, there is a primacy given to Legend of Korra in many spaces that I don't think is deserved as a show that was primarily made by two, um, by all accounts, cis straight men, um, and that the the model that happens in Legend of Korra. Um, is often held up as this huge milestone for queer representation in media, um, but that that ties into a mode of talking about representation that I've often like railed against on this podcast. <laughs> um, that what happens in Legend of Korra, um, you could perhaps see potentiality in there for you know, like there's a way to read what happened there that. Um, gives more space for someone like Rebecca Sugar to work in more queerness into something like Steven Universe um, as a, a queer person telling that story. Um, but also many ways becomes the model that, um, you know, Disney and all of its many properties, Marvel among them being one that I love to to take pot shots at, um, that, that constructs like this mode of representation that is the thing that you sell. Um, it, it is the way that you like tap into the LGBTQIA plus uh, market. Um, and part, part of like why so many people, I think, balk against um, stuff with Legend of Korra is one specifically because of the way that it has developed this new mold for uh, quote unquote, the representation um, that actually lacks, I think, some of the, you know, the term I like to return to is the the queer resonance that I think it is more felt in something like Utena, um, even as there is still to some degree this parallel um, that you can draw out with the ending. Uh, that the, the series of Utena, I think, resonates far more um, powerfully with, with me and a lot of queer people that I know. Um, and seems to be grappling with these things to like a deeper level. Um, and, uh, and also, I mean, this is one of the things of like, you know, legend of Korra was not the first to do it. Oh, <laughs> Utena yeah. was not the yeah. first to do it. Ray earth was not the first to do it. Um, you know, this is a mode that queer people have used to tell a story. And again, I, I don't know like Ikuhara. I don't, I don't know 
what his like orientation or whatever is i will just say he has an extremely strong preoccupation with telling like very messy queer stories <laughs> so um yeah and well and that's all that's like i didn't know the extent of what you described um in fact like i'm completely removed yeah, from, you, from any discourse you are around extremely not horror. online yeah, I literally just like watched the show and then like had some opinions about it and then never like talked to anyone about it until now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, being unaware of like all of that, uh, except for some passing references and like uh, the, um, you know, the Discord, the Export Audio yeah. Network Discord. Um <laughs> From which I drew my hesitancy. Um, anyway, I, I had no knowledge of that. Um, I think, and, and maybe I should say that Legend of Korra is reminiscent of Utena in this way. Um, but I only bring it up insofar as it's like, oh, this is another thing that like, a touchstone, like, for me, where, um, Like, a series where it's like, oh, well, you know, this character has relationships with... Like, we see them as, like, probably potentially straight for the majority of the series. And then there's this revelation at the end. But, like, the revelation at the end is, like, you know, highly significant um, Mm -hmm. for, like, understanding the character. Um, And, like, in a way that's really not... It's not contendable that, like, oh, well, no, no, Utena is, like straight um like yeah you you know what i mean like that's kind of what i'm getting at um like it's a it's like a process and then um a revelation at the end of this process where it kind of like um strips away some of the primacy of like the way the character's orientation or sexuality has been like presented um previously like i don't want to be like oh well she like is attracted to akio who's a man so like therefore you know this is not romantic like i i don't yeah i don't think that's a very strong argument um yeah the the other thing that like i think about too with this this pairing is that um there is especially in these last six episodes, I think the like further mirroring of stuff that has been happening with Juri and Shiori, where to some degree Anthe does take the Shiori position, the 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 person who like, um, you know, internalized homophobia. Yeah, if you take like that read of what's happening with Juri and Shiori, um, who is the one who says like, "Well, you can't be my prince because you're a girl." Um, and, you know, in the case of Anthe, it does seem to be far more that read, um, in a clearer way because of the ending, because of her saying, no, I'm going to go find Utena. Um, which again, for like, the other thing that I haven't really brought up here, but is that like, this is something that, um, I know like autumn and I talk about sometimes on sterols. It definitely came up in the hunger episode, um, which is the ways that they're often like the people that you discover your queerness through, but that 
like that is not who you remain with. Um, that sometimes like that process is messy in a way that, um, you know, Anthe saying, I'm going to go find Utena could also still be this, like, I'm going to go find, I'm going to go find and like realize this queerness, even if it's not with this person who's now gone. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to like find the person who can be that relationship for me. Um, again, which, which I just like bring in for like, there, there's a lot to this queer reading of like, finally breaking out of these systems and, and trying to like find happiness. Um, and we, as the viewer would want to hope that it ends up like that. It ends with Anthe and Utena together. And yet what is more important to me is Anthony being able to take that step out. Right. Um, <laughs> and to, to find that person, even if that person is not necessarily Utena. Um, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, before we wrap, do we want to talk a little bit about how Sionji and Toga are fucking? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go for it. Um, um, I assume I, you I want to take the lead the most, on that one. I put it in the most crass way possible, but I I do think um, there is like. So I'm going to, I'm going to say a thing, which is that, uh, I think I do have a read that my, I think my read, and this is like perhaps more of a stretch than what we're talking about with all the stuff going on with Utena and Anthe, but I do have this read that there actually is this, like this love between Toga and Sionji. Um, but I also want to be clear, even though my read is, um, they are gay for each other. <laughs> Um, oh, you're, so you're really that is, going for it that that is my read but i also want to be clear that um i know lots of gay guys who are horrible misogynists and so they are still both shitty dudes mm -hmm. um but hopefully they can they can um there is a bond between them which and i i do it is important to me that like we see um Sionji being the Rose Bride of Toga. Oh, yeah. Um, because the, the main other one that we see that's like this situation um, is also this more like homoerotically chart. Like that image is homoerotic. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. The drawing of the sword from the chest is just like a very sexual thing that we've talked about. Um, and so having that occur and having them like Honestly, of all of the the duels during like this section where there's the Rose Bride and the the like duelist, um, they're also the ones that like are fighting together. <laughs> uh, you know, we we talked about them riding the motor the like motorcycle where Sionji's in the sidecar and like reaching over and and, and steering. And like while... a total crow high moment stands up in the sidecar <laughs> yeah. and Toga's like, <laughs> yes. that's kinda dangerous. And he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. And sits down. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so yeah, like, I, I think this stuff is also figured in there and is also part of, um, we, we aren't seeing it developed in the same way that we are with some of the other stuff, but we do also get this, um, this process of, of them questioning 
Akio. And part of that being a coming together rather than fighting each other. Um, Lem's being the biggest jerk today. Um, I feel like it, it feels like it's yeah, always I, Lem I don't know if trying you're... to break into Yeah, Lem's into the needy one. Um, Ali takes after Emily, Lem takes after me, which means that uh, Lem is very needy and loves to bite. Mm. Um, anyway... Your no, thoughts let's, on let's, Toga let's and Sayonji. Let's, let's sit with that statement for a minute. Um, people know this about me. I've talked about <laughs> this on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, I think that's a fair reading. Um, I, I probably already rambled about this enough, so I won't, you know, go too far. But uh, I think you know this relationship becomes really significant in the final arc. You see a lot more of like. Sionji and Toga together, they're paired up. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, these are two characters that, per our prior discussions um, in the series, they're like kind of identified and defined by um, this like toxic masculinity, machismo, patriarchy. Um, but here, and then their arcs kind of like complicate them and humanize them um, while not absolving them of moral responsibility, um, but deepen our understanding of uh, them as like full human characters. Um, and, um, and and here I think we finally see like, there's a lot of moments where um, the scene, like the scenes of Akio, um, them taking pictures of Akio doing these like suggestive or Toga taking pictures of Akio doing these suggestive poses. Um, and then the prior scenes in the prior um, arc of like Akio and Toga laying in bed together again, suggestively. Um, I think the series is somewhat encouraging us to um, see Toga and, and also Sionji as um, being manipulated by Akio. Um, maybe not, not in the same way that um, Anthe and Utena are, um, but it, also in a way that's not entirely different. Because um, there's a, a sexual, there's a, a sexual shades of this um, manipulation um, I mean, Akio is specifically appealing to and manipulating um, their, like, senses of gender, um, like, their sexuality, um, and then doing these kind of, like, um, titillating or whatever, like, things with them. Um, so, I don't know if we're going to go all the way into that, but um, that is there. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and again, like what, like I was saying earlier, like it, it draws awareness to the fact of like, oh yeah, you know, um, just as Utena is like a 14 year old girl or whatever, who's being, um, preyed upon by this 500 year old man or like whatever he is, 29, 30. Um, these are also young boys that are like, being manipulated um 
And then uh, it, it becomes very important, the pairing um, in these like last uh, few episodes, because we see them, um, Sayonji and Toga, talking at length, like struggling with their ideas about masculinity and gender, um, and kind of like trying to work it out. Um, sometimes antagonizing one, one another, and then sometimes like as friends. Um, yeah. But then ultimately as friends. Um, and, uh, and then perhaps more, um, you know, depending on, on the reading you take. Um, but I think it's pretty yeah. clear that this is like paralleled with Uteni, uh, Utena and Anthe's uh, friendship. Um, Utenti is their ship name. Yeah. Um, Utanthi? Utanthi. <laughs> <laughs> um, antenna. <laughs> no, antenna's bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, so, so that, that's another, you know, dimension of this is, is the parallels that are happening. Um, and, uh, again, you know, we've talked about Toga and Sayonji. Um, how those characters are treated. Um, so any further comment, I'll just, uh, so, yeah, um, forestall by saying like, you know, we've already, um, referred to our prior episodes. Yeah. Go listen to our new year's day bonus special about independent people that we have not recorded yet but i am sure we talk extensively about um how narratives can be sympathetic and show the way that like people are are coerced and shaped and um like pushed into systems where they are abusers and yet uh that does not like absolve them of of their horrible position (laughs) um hey it just like merely takes a, a a broader view of it Hey, all I know is that that fucking deer could feed my family for the entire winter. <laughs> so, um, next episode, we're going to talk about Adolescence of Utena. Unless you have other stuff that you want to talk about. No, nope, I'm good. <laughs> okay. So yeah, next episode, we're going to talk about Adolescence of Utena. Um, if you really can't wait for the two weeks and you just need some more ghost divers to fill your time and you haven't checked out that that bonus episode yet uh go check it out also read all 500 pages of the novel first um god we're reading so much for that episode i'm i'm currently reading through it and i'm just like man we it makes sense as a bonus episode but part of me is like man if we could just break this out into like the books that were originally published separately and then combined into the final book um as like a small series that would be nice this is a lot One of these days, we should really just do a podcast, like a different podcast, where we just like read one chapter or something and then talk for like 30 minutes max, you know? Yeah. One of these days, Um, we should should do that. That'll never happen. No, you're right. We're we're constitutionally incapable (laughs) of doing that. Um, It's Um, not even worth experimenting with. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not worth definitely... creating a large spreadsheet of exactly how we would break out all of the chapters across many years. Yeah. Um, no, definitely not. It's definitely not worth like starting next year. Yeah. 
if you have questions about um revolutionary girl otana and the things that we've talked about um or honestly other anime that we've talked about previously or just anime questions in general you can write into ghostiverspod at gmail.com and we will do the question bucket um after the adolescence of utena episode um thank you to the export audio network for hosting us you can go to exportodd.io, which takes you to the patreon to um support the network uh it's patreon.com slash export audio in case the the link is broken um if you want to share this podcast with someone else uh you can also use the uh link exportodd.io slash ghost divers um to get them the rss feed although we're also on like apple and you know spotify and a bunch of other um places that you can find podcasts so um I guess I don't say this very often, but go to Apple Podcasts or whatever and rate and review us so that people will find us, I guess. Something about algorithms. Um, you can listen to my other podcast, which I feel like I mentioned at some point in this le- lengthy recording, um, which is Ornate Stairwells. Uh, it's a podcast that I do with my friend Autumn. We watch a movie and then... Most of the time, immediately after we finish watching it, we just hit play and uh, start recording a podcast, or hit record and start recording a podcast. Um, you can go to exportodd.io slash ornate stairwells to find that. Don't bother looking for it on things like Apple Podcasts because it's not there. It is RSS feed only, I believe. Exclusive. Um, yeah. Um, you can follow us at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at FoxMomNia. Where can people follow you, Connor? Um, y'all can follow me at Rebelies, R-E-B-B-L-E-A-S. And you can also follow me at Garfred Aloud, where I read Garfield Aloud into a camera. That's also on Twitter. Oh, and if you go to at FoxMomNia or whatever, however you do usernames on TikTok, I usually cross-post Garfred Aloud over there. So if you use TikTok and not Twitter, but you still want us to have someone read Garfield Aloud into a camera at you, um, you can now get that through TikTok. You've been able to for a while. We just have a long lead time with recording. I wonder how big that that subset of people is. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you'll find out. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Uh, nope. I think I'm good. Um, okay. I think we solved we solved Utena, so we'll have nothing to talk about next time. <laughs> I'm so excited for you to watch this movie. But uh, for pe- for people listening at home, um, as part of like the way to be able to make this work with Autumn joining, there's going to be a longer time between recording. Like the next time we record, we're recording about um, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Um, that's also going to be weird the way that we structure that, but I'll talk about that on the, the intro episode. <laughs> um, but I'm excited for when you watch this movie, Connor, and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and yeah, some I'm, of the stuff that happens in it. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, um, yeah, and it'll be, yeah. it'll be fun. And I'll talk a little bit about the manga and, um, yeah, I feel like this might be one where we get to the question bucket and we still have thoughts. <laughs> well that, uh, that would be great um yeah anyway it's i have to go now oh yeah yeah me too um bye everyone bye y'all see you next time
this podcast. Awesome. I'm going to hit stop. Okay. Okay, now recording. Okay. And uh, just so so you're aware, uh, I do have the correct inputs. I did check it this time. Okay. You got your blue snowball? Yeah, I do. It's... And not, not only do I have it and have it plugged in, but it's it's also the the input device for Audacity. Yeah. Which is that that you know final important detail. Um I'm gonna click forward something that I just got. <laughs> okay. Are you sending to it online? No, this- this I'm sending to you, uh, Emily. It was just I was switching over to my email thing because I was gonna pull something else up, and then I was gonna pull time dot is up in there, and then I saw an email and I was like, oh, I'm gonna send this to Emily right now. Cool. Um, this is completely unrelated to the podcast. I'm just right, right. It's one of those yeah. um, like copy pasta, like conservative yeah. conspiracy emails that you send all no, the time? No, no. It's, it's one <laughs> where if I don't forward it to somebody within the next five minutes, I'm going to be haunted forever. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's all um, it says. I just have to forward it or else I'll be haunted. And, like, I don't think that that's true, but why risk it? So, Emily can deal with yeah. the haunting. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she can just forward it on, too. Um, yeah, I mean, you really have two options, right? Like, a very, very, very small possibility of being haunted and the certainty of not being haunted. So, like, you know, the logical thing to do is just to forward it on. Yeah. Like, why even take that chance? Um, do we want to do a drink check? Yeah, let's do it. So, I've got a wine that we just opened. Um, it's a white wine. Nice. Um, I forget that it was like Exalty or something was the name. Um, okay. It was just the wine that I, I put in because we get like sounds like from a, a local wine shop. Try hard wine name. Um, well, from a, like a local wine <laughs> shop that does. So we like natural wines and like orange wines and things. And so it's a wine shop that has a lot of those. And we just do like a curated like they pick the bottles for us um, periodically. And it's just like when we want to have a nice wine. So I open that up. Um it's like a little bit like fruity, like it's got a little bit of that like fruity quality to it. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like super sweet. Um, okay. But wine's kind of been like my go-to for Utena because it just, it feels kind of like a, a wine show to me. Sure. Um, and then for the cocktail, I made um, an old fashioned because there's a lot of like returning to um, like mythic times in the past and things. So I thought like uh-huh. old fashioned <laughs> kind of felt like. You know, like we get like multiple flashbacks here, so yeah. Um, and then also, sure. there's like a certain amount of like revolting against the, the what is old fashioned. So right. Um, so you're gonna drink half and then just fucking dump it out. Um, just like smash it against the wall. I'm gonna drink half and then I'm gonna make a new cocktail with the <laughs> what's, what's there. I'm gonna like add other stuff to make an entirely new cocktail that's never existed before. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. That I'm glad that uh, your your drink um, 
your drink is really anticipating our what I guess is our shared reading of the ending of Lieutenant. So that's that's always nice. Um, uh, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Kolsch. Uh, it's so like unremarkable that I hesitate to even share the details, but it's this is one of the uh, I- I've had this before on one of our previous episodes. I can't remember which, um, but it's a local brewery called Sonder, um, and it's the uh, the Voss Kolsch. Um, I have no particular allegiance to or knowledge of this brewery um just so happens that Kroger carries like a bunch of um local beers and I have like I have taken that step of when I buy beer at Kroger being like well you know I might as well get like a local shitty beer and not just like a mass-produced one um so this is one of the standards that i buy now um it's pretty good it's very inoffensive it's it's not quite on the level of like a miller light but um you know you got to have some allegiance to your local uh establishments yeah um okay Shall we do a time by this clap? Yeah, let's do it. Did time by this change their font? I'm pretty sure they did. I was also thinking that. It's really amusing to me that that's the kind of random shit that we would like that you and I would notice. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's do 29. Okay. I think that's good enough. Um, we have anything else we want to talk about, or do you want to get into the episode? Oh, the, uh, my one why my one note for this is I wrote way more for the synopses than I normally do. Um, yeah, you got, got some meaty synopses here. Yeah, and I know that often we will kind of digress as we do it. I think these are so complete. For me, that I, I suspect that probably won't happen, so we can hopefully run through them pretty quick. Yeah, like, okay. Because I know sometimes we'll, we'll be running through, and then we'll kind of talk about a scene briefly that like I only briefly referred to, whereas I feel like I've been a little bit more complete in some of this stuff. Um, yeah, I got part it. of this is that I, I have watched these episodes twice now, uh, in rapid succession, so... Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, um, that works well. We can just blow through these, and I'm sure we won't editorialize at all. Yeah. Shall we begin? <laughs> um, oh, do I need to get me... Craig in here? Craig has been failing me a lot. I, I recorded... Um, so I think the one that I did with you and JC, I haven't like done it to put up for people, but that one did get recorded. But then the one that I did with Lauren failed, too. So, oh, um, that sucks. Although I... Was like... I I think with both the one with, um, oh, it's happening here too. The one with both, um, Lauren and the one with, uh, Jesse, um, only Gyark joined. And then what I got from Gyark was what, like, it, it's, it said that it was already deleted. Like, it gave me that message, even though it was, like, within the week. So. Aw, that's really sad. 
Um, um, I really want. So yeah, Giarca to to might just be, might just might be fucked up, but um, we haven't had any. Knock on wood. There's some wood. Um, Got to get a wood desk for these circumstances. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to do it with uh, with Molly yet? Or not Molly, Emma. Jesus. <laughs> Fuck. Um, I was so confused for a second, too, because now I know an actual Molly. Um, no, I haven't been able to do it with Emma yet. So. Oh, okay. You know, Emma is so, like, impossible to, to wrangle for yeah. this. But, um yeah well maybe soon um but yeah so i'm assuming this isn't going to record be recorded but we do have giark in here at least hopefully you won't fail me now giark i think giark is just like a formality at this point no one really wants to rely on giark yeah Um, and we've given up on and i'm recording you're recording um yeah yeah i can totally i've been recording this whole time yeah i'm not just starting right now because i forgot 